Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to a super special. Oh, you guys can even see me. This is great. Um, welcome to a super special episode of the Growing with Fishes podcast, episode 278 with Mean Gene and Mendocino uh, and uh, Freeborn Selection. I'm super excited to have him on the show. Thanks for joining us tonight. Yeah, thanks for having me on, man. We also have Wes Engine. Big up Potent Ponics, big up Smash, big up uh, uh, Jordan from Growcast, and uh, shit, I can't remember Spectrum King's first name. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> and of course... Mean Gene from Mendocino. So, uh, looking forward to uh, looking forward to the interview tonight, and uh, yeah, hearing some cool stories and fucking uh, tales from the past and whatnot, and and people's perspectives on uh, where the future of cannabis is going. So, looking forward to it. We also have, hold on, I'll get this right. Jordan River of. <laughs> Uh, there we go. There I got it. Wow. Jordan River for Growcast. Hey, <laughs> and we have uh, Brennan of Spectrum King and Grow uh, Grow with More or More More Biocat More Biocat More. more. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I'm your host uh, Steve from Potent Ponics. Um, we have a super fun episode for you guys this evening. For those of you that don't know, um, uh, Mean Jeans is one of the most accomplished uh, California breeders that's basically on the market. He's worked on some with so much good genetics. And I know uh, all of us have a ton of questions for him this, tonight. If you guys are listening in chat, please leave your um, questions in chat and we'll get to them as time allows. Uh, if you ask a question and just at me or one of the other moderators and uh, we'll make sure that we add it to the queue. Um, also uh, thanks to uh, Josh for the regen conference. Uh, both out in Humboldt and in Michigan. That's actually how I got a chance to meet him. Uh, was uh, uh, Mean Jeans here was actually out at um, a region conference in Humboldt. So that was really, really awesome. So uh, uh, yeah, thanks for Josh for, for putting that on as well. So thanks for joining us this evening. Uh, why don't you tell us some, a little bit about yourself and, uh, 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 and what you do these days, and then we'll get into it. This is me we're talking to? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, um you know i'm a plant plant dude look through plants find cool stuff put stuff together keep it around um it's most of what i do and uh you know that's that's what i got going right now and um you know that's about it man so how did you uh how did you get into uh growing cannabis initially uh, obviously we all love the plant but um what was your, uh, you know, initial, uh, I'm going to start growing now kind of moment? Um, well, you know, when I was little, um, at a certain point, you know, I started, uh, my parents had a little bit of weed in the bushes and uh, way out in the woods back when it was real sketchy, you know, and uh, at a certain point I convinced them to let me like plant the plant, you know, and put in a little plant in the garden. 
and um you know i kind of tried it out and flaked out like a little kid kind of of course is pretty likely to do and then some years later you know three or four years later um my buddy started growing and it's it, it was seemed like kind of exciting again you know and hearing them talk about their little garden and stuff and they had like little gar gorilla gardens they were bucket feeding and kind of like sneaking onto a neighbor's property out there in the um, old neighborhood we used to be in where they lived. And, you know, they were really into like um, the different flavors and colors and all this stuff. And to me, like it was always, you know, usually your, your early experience with weed is usually like it's, it's pot or it's weed or it's bud or it's leaf or whatever, you know? And these guys actually were really into like the, the nuance of stuff and um, I had grown up with them, but we were at that age where, um, you know, my buddy's dad kind of started like sharing more knowledge. And uh, so he was kind of up on stuff. And uh, his dad, Steve-O, was like a real connoisseur. And my other buddy, um, my other buddy's dad, Mike, like they were brothers, Mike and Steve, and they were like real connoisseurs. And we had always had weed around and, um, you know, good weed. And but I just didn't really know the details of it that much and wasn't as interested until like your peers are kind of into it and you're a little older and everything. And so um, that kind of like was a, you know, like kicked it back to like, oh, this is this is a cool thing. There's a lot to this. And it's not just, um, you know, growing a little weed to survive or a little weed to have some joints to get high or whatever, you know, because I'd already been smoking for a couple of years a little bit. But they were like the ones who told me, you know, like, oh, this is tasty and, um, you know, this tastes like this or this smells like this or this is like that. And I was like, oh, wow, OK, so there's a lot to it. It's not just like either strong weed that's bud or, you know, shitty weed that's shake or whatever. It was like I started to learn about the stuff you learn about when you're really into weed. And uh, so that made me really want to get into it. And, and my same buddies, they ended up giving me um some seeds uh, my buddies Chad and Steve and um you know Chad and his dad was Steve and um you know I grew those and found really cool stuff and and uh you know seeing them like making stuff that made me like interested and oh, okay so there's these flavors and you can combine them and they told me about like when the Afghani first came back that this guy Randy brought back in the early 80s and how there was all the different colors in it. There was a yellow and a black and a red and a purple and a green and all this different stuff, you know? And um, it just seemed, it was just all really interesting compared to what my little take on it was from just seeing like my mom have some plants in the bushes. And, you know, had I had, I had the interest, I would have realized what she was growing was all super cool too, but I didn't. And that was, you know, that was like the start was kind of having peers who were excited about it then you realize you know it's like if your buddy shows you real cool music you understand that music a little better and even if you you could even have something you don't like and someone who um you know who who who's your buddy or whatever is into it and you'd be like oh okay i can understand that a little bit and that's how it was kind of opened the door to that and uh you know ever since then i was like you know enthusiastic about it it wasn't just a um you know like what, it wasn't just like plants before that it was just like it might as well have been just some illegal flowers you know 
it wasn't wasn't any of the finer details and stuff and those guys kind of turned me on to that and ever since i've just been super into it um what about breeding what got you into breeding just just the fact that you just that you're talking about the, the ability to blend those different flavors and all that or you know what yeah that was the same thing the same seeing those guys you know have the stuff that they had and realizing like that everything's different and hearing people talk about how there used to be this thing, but then they lost it, but it was the best ever. And then, you know, seeing what was around and wanting to kind of, um, wanting to kind of make sure that if I really liked this, that I could still have it. And that, um, you know, you could improve things. And uh, so that all, you know, uh, the combination of all those things was kind of like, um, I think it's like kind of a natural instinctive thing to see like plants of, of value for whatever reason and want to um, keep them around, you know? And at that point there wasn't everything, all, all weed was valuable. So it wasn't like there was value in having a certain smell or a certain taste. That was all just like, um, you know, whatever's your personal attraction, like, Oh, this, this one's really good. I want to keep it. It wasn't like, Oh, I need it because, because you can only sell OG or whatever. It was like, no, it's, you wanted to keep things at that point in the mid nineties because, uh, you know, you could just see like the, the, the real value, not the monetary value, but like, damn, if I lost this, this would suck. And, um, so that kind of made me just want to, you know, make sure that I, I kept things around and, um, you know, then that led to people talking about people telling me like, oh, there used to be this thing like this, or there used to be this one like that. And then me trying to be like, okay, well, the description's crazy. I want to see if I can like recreate that or find it in seeds from that neighborhood or any stuff like that. And, um, you know, that just kind of turns into an addiction and kind of a mania where you just want to like, you know, you can't get enough of it. And, um, you know, that's where I'm at this point now, just you know, planting and planting. What, um, and this is one of my favorite questions to have readers, especially people that have as much experience as yourself. What are some of the traits that you look for in a good male? Uh, Cause I, I feel like I get a different answer from every breeder. Each of them has their own method that they've perfected for choosing males. And I'd love to hear yours. So the simplest way to say it is to say that I try to get rid of the males that suck. Like if you see a male and you go, I don't like this plant, like this thing is not good for whatever reason. Like if you have a bunch of males and one of them gets powdery mildew or one of them, the branches just keep falling and snapping, or you have a bunch side by side and one almost has no flowers and the other ones have a nice flower set on them or whatever it is. So like the first thing is to get rid of basically you know, get rid of the coals where it's like, okay, that doesn't really have anything that I want, then that's like the main first step. And then beyond that, it usually is based on specifics. And I try to always stress that when people ask me this question, because you really want to know what you're looking for. Because if you have kind of a blanket statement about what a good male is, then you're going to be screwing up and, a, and an easy way to do to like an easy analogy is to be like, okay, well, you might go, you know, you might be like, if a dog breeder was looking at dogs, you'd be like, okay, like somebody who's breeding a Husky might be like, dude, we want the 180 pound male, you know, 
we want the male with the head like a bear. And then it's like, yeah, but not if you're trying to breed a chihuahua. Like you, there's very specific things you need to be able to preserve a breed and breeds have certain standards and specific things you expect from a breed. So you don't want to be like, Subcool used to say, oh, never pick the early male. And I was always like, yeah, but what if you're trying to breed a fast strain? You can't just keep throwing the late male on everything and expect to be growing 55 day weed. It's going to be all screwed up. And so those generalizations to me, uh, they never make a lot of sense. It's always for me, I'm like, okay, well, what is the breed we're looking for? And then how do we meet that standard, keeping all the things that we know are the identity of this breed and then rejecting everything that, like I said, that just is undesirable. You're just like, this one sucks. Okay. Well, we don't want that one. Cause it's just bad. Like that's not the good version of that, you know, but you still want to like have a real, um, a real target for each, for each breed, you know, and the way to learn what your real target is, is usually by getting experience with that seed line. So it's really cool to be able to have a bunch of the seed and go ahead and go, okay, I'm going to grow, you know, 10 of these girls, grow another 10 of these girls or grow 50 of these girls or whatever it is. And then once you really know like what these common factors always are, then you can go, okay, now I can recognize my favorite plants that keep popping up again, that are these frequent characters and you keep seeing them and you go, that looks like that thing and it buds and you go, damn, it was that thing again. And then the one you go, that looks like this thing. And then it buds and it's that thing again. And then the ones that don't look like that, they're not what you want. And after a while you go, okay, cool. So now I know I can see it like a face in a crowd where I go, that is those, that's that type. And then once you know a type that you really like in it, and that's really your target, then you want to find the male that has all that going on for it so that you see it and you go, that's the type of male. And once you can do that, it makes you be able to breed forward really fast in a really sensible way um, where if you were constantly, like if you had just a checklist and you go, I want tall males with big branches that take a long time to flower and that get really, really giant buds and have really big roots. Be like, that'd be cool. But eventually you're gonna turn everything into these breeds that all are like that. And they might not fit the breed standard that you're shooting for in any sense. And then all of a sudden, you've turned everything you did into the wrong thing. And then, so that doesn't, uh, that doesn't really get you anywhere by having a checklist of, of, um, things that you want for every male, you still have to know what, um, you know, what your target is. And then you want to try to learn how to hit that target. And then, then you can go, okay, cool. Well, I'm at, you know, you could be at F3 and be like, wow, these look like what I expected, I thought I was going to have to take five or six or eight generations to get there. But because you already learned and you saw which plan is which, then all of a sudden you can be looking at your F3s and go, whoa, or F4s usually, um, you know, but uh, that's, that's like basically the real, the real trick is to really learn your stock, you know, and then you can, um, you can, you know, you, it's like you spend a lot of time initially, um, to save a lot of time in the end, you know, through observation. Are there any particular traits that you notice are carried more on the male side of the lines versus the female? I've had weird things that happen, like where I have certain types that pop out and you can't get a female of that type. 
Like as soon as you see that plant in the cross, you look at it and you go, I just know it's a male because it has the leaf shaped like this. It has the stems that are this kind of weird shape. It's this certain thing. And every time you grab one, you go, I bet it's a fucking male. And you look at it and it's a male. And then you do it again and it's a male. And you go through whatever 300 plants of that and you find, you know, eight or 10 of those plants and they're all a male. So I do believe that there's certain like sex link traits that must be there, but I've never had it work for me in any practical way where I could say like, okay, always pick the fat male because the male carries the yield or the male carries whatever it is. I don't have that kind of uh, data to say, yeah, this is exactly how any of that works, you know? And I think you could study it and make more sense out of it. Um, but you know, you're always spending all this time doing all these different things and it, and it's something better left up to somebody who's going to be the guy who determines that. Whereas for me, I'm always just trying to keep around like the flavors that I like and make sure that they don't rot when the weather hits them. And, um, you know, make sure that you can get the bag of weed that you want and have it exist. Like that's really like always my breeding goal. The very super specific things like tracking male link traits and all that kind of stuff, definitely better left up to somebody who's like, oh, I'm super interested in that. And I'm just going to grow all this stuff just to log all that. And then, you know, you'd find that stuff out, but it's, uh, you know, that's a really, um, specific thing that you would really need to be you know a data-driven project where i'm more everything for me is more just hands-on and senses i'm not super technical or scientific i just want to like keep the, the the certain weed that i want you know i got a question for you gene um you're talking about getting into and back in the day how has your ideology kind of changed since back then and maybe also like what would you tell yourself when you first were getting started breeding that you maybe was a misconception that you learned down the road. <laughs> so I had a thing. I learned a lot of what I learned from uh, Rob Clark's book, Marijuana Botany. And um, looking at how it all worked and hearing people talk about different stuff, um, I kind of had this idea that like, you know, the, the, the purest stock is really the, is really the thing. And when you're making hybrids, it's all kind of just, muddying the waters and it makes it really hard to be able to breed a specific type and so you want to have a really focused breeding project and you want to keep everything real pure and you want it to all be very specific and proper and so as I did stuff I always thought that what I was doing was just a bunch of bullshit but I was doing it because it was what I could do at the time we didn't have a whole lot of plants we couldn't dedicate a ton of them to uh, breeding um, we couldn't dedicate a ton of time to breeding uh, it was like really hard just to try to make sure that you pulled any weed at all. You know, you had to carry in everything really far into the woods. It was hard to get water. It was hard to do all that stuff. So I always kind of thought everything that I was doing was just kind of bullshit. And um, I thought that it would be like impossible to breed back out of these weird poly hybrids that I had made and they're cool, but they're just, eh, you're going to get something here and something there. They're always going to be inconsistent. So I thought that this, all these crosses that I had made were kind of like, just like some bullshit hobby work that, you know, isn't really, it doesn't have any value. It's not real preservation work. And, uh, 
so I undervalued it. And I realize now at this point that like everything you do, because most people who grow, grow to produce weed and not really for genetics and preservation or improvement or any of this kind of stuff, like everything you do has potential to wind up being like really important. And it really should be like, um, preserved as well as you can even if you think it's not the best version of whatever it is you never know when your bootleg version is going to wind up being the best version in existence and that's happened with uh most of the stuff that i have and i had the luck of like improving stuff and being able to to pull things back out where it was like oh well this is there's 12 things in this you'll never get it straight but then you realize when you really do look, you do find these types, you can breed back and you can make these unique things and you work them for five or six generations. And now you have like what people consider a variety, like a pure heirloom variety where it's like, you can just pick all the males and put them on the females, pull out seeds and you'll be right in the ballpark of, of what you should have. And um, I was able to do that out of my stuff that I thought was kind of garbage because everybody who had the stuff I thought they'd all, all always have, they all lost it and started growing clones. And um, so my biggest thing at this point is like, I should have put everything away in the fridge and treated it like gold. But I thought that I was just like bullshitting and ruining everything. And it was just some seeds and it doesn't really matter. And nobody wants to grow them anyway. And now it's years and years later, you know, it's 20 years later or whatever. And I, you know, I still have those seeds, but I kept them in my closet. I didn't keep them in the fridge. So like the genetics exist in them, but you know, and I, I always, I said this probably every time I've done, anybody's asked me anything like this, I always say, you know, that I, I had it and I, I didn't store them right. And that's like the biggest thing would be like when you're making stuff, don't undervalue it. Like realize that seeds are, uh, they're really valuable. Even if you think they're not perfect, they're still a super cool um, little snapshot of history. And they're not, there's, there's no way, there's no way to get to having something special just out of thin air. It has to come from somewhere. So you have to have some stock. You have to have some seeds to come from. You have to like lock down that stuff, even if it's not in a form where you think it's at its best. It's like, it's still in there. Everybody bought all this stuff, all these seeds in the eighties and the nineties, and people scored these seeds in the sixties and seventies. And a lot of people went, Oh, I'll keep one plant and I'll hit it with one male. And then they lost it or they, you know, they bottlenecked it. And people think, Oh, I'm not a breeder. So I'll get it back from the real breeder. Cause I'm just going to make some kind of mockery of whatever the real shit is. And what everybody really should have done is going to is be like, Oh, I'm going to buy this, these pack of seeds. I'm going to buy 20 packs of seeds. I'm going to grow them all and seed all the females with all the males and take the seeds out and put them all in the fridge. And right now we could be pulling out seeds from the early seventies and being like, yeah, you know, hundred percent germ rate or at least 20% germ rate and popping all this old stuff. Um, so that's, that's my biggest thing I would say is like, you know, like all of it's good. And, uh, you know, if, if you don't, if you lose it, then it's just, you're going to, it's going to be gone. And, um, you know, that's, that's like the biggest, that was like my biggest misconception was thinking like, Oh, my shit's just like fucking knockoff bullshit. And you go, well, yeah, but 
there's none of this stuff is left anyway. So, you know. Yeah, I think that a lot of people like to put people in a box when it comes to breeding. And then sometimes that puts them down. You know what I mean? Yeah. But like, and it's like, if you're crossing plants, you're creating potential and that's inherently valuable. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's a, it's a weird thing to try to make people think like you have to have a very specific um, skill set or you have to have very specific stock or it has to have like this very specific provenance all that stuff is cool and it's all valuable and has its place but it doesn't negate the value of all the stuff that's just some fucking old weed and it's got some seeds in it it's all about like is it do you like it it does it is it different you know like it's everything like we need all of it and um the only way to make everybody keep having all of it is for the people who um you know might not be an expert they we still need them to make seeds you know and um you know that's i've learned that over the years it's like anybody tells me that they're making some seeds i'm like cool people are like oh well i wouldn't grow his stuff because that dude's that dude's not very smart or whatever i'm like dude he's not making the plants from his brain they're making themselves from replicating DNA. Like the, the, you have these plants are giving up their material and there they are. And if they're good, then they're good. It doesn't, all that other stuff is just a bunch of details. And if you get swamped down in that mentality, then it just is, you know, it's a hindrance to what you're actually should probably be trying to accomplish, you know? That note, uh, you've done a lot of work with skunk. You went, since uh, we were talking about, you know, more or less extinct strains uh, or stuff that's kind of gone away. Um, tell us a little about your work with the different skunk lines. You have some of the, a lot of cool stuff down that space. In terms of um, so, like, I've never worked knowingly with, um, with specifically with skunk one or anything that's like known as a skunk. I have one line that um, around. I guess around 2006, I named it grape soda skunk because it was super, super uh, stinky. It had a really nice skunk smell to it, but it also has like this candy grape Gatorade, chocolate, um, like mocha coffee smell, but it's, it's very skunky. Um, and so that's that I have that one. And then in the lime, a lot of stuff that's more skunky comes out of that. But um in general, I haven't done a lot of stuff. Like I've never, I've never worked specifically to make skunk in the, in the old days. Generally, we thought of weed as being skunky. Like if you smell weed, you're like, oh, hey, that's skunky. You know, you open it in the car in a film canister and you're like, damn, that's some skunk bud, dude. That shit is skunky because it's stinky weed, you know? But um, as far as like the very skunkiest of everything, um, you know, I, I, I had the luck back in the day. My buddy um, went up to Arcata and he knew some people who were like rainbow family people. And they had a, a clone that was super skunk. And I don't know if that cut is the same as other super skunks people had, but it was a really nice, really skunky weed. It was really tasty. Um, wasn't incredibly potent, but it was good, strong bud. And it was really just like very, very likable as far as when you smoked it, it had a great flavor. 
And um, somehow I never bred that. Um, I don't remember growing it specifically any time, so I don't think I ever grew it, but he had it a lot. He would grow it and our other buddy would grow it. And, um, you know, in general, like this, the skunk stuff was like, if I smelled something and it smelled really skunky, that was kind of in the, in the, in the early nineties, that was kind of just like weed. You just thought of weed as being a skunky thing. So I always wanted the ones when my buddies, my buddy, um, back in the day said, Oh, we used to have this thing called the spice. And then we used to have this thing called the lime. And we used to have, we used to have one called the airport and like all these different things. And I was like, Oh, those all sound crazy. And the lime always sounded really, really cool to me. And, um, I wound up at one point growing a garden and getting a plant that was really limey. And I wound up getting that and, and turning that into what became black lime and all that. And, uh, those were the ones that were always attractive to me were the ones that sounded like really these exotic fruit flavors that were not weedy. And so I was always more interested in those, you know? Um, but, uh, you know, grape soda skunk to me, like when I smell it, it's as skunky as anything that I've been able to smell. It's really like kind of nose burning, um, but it smells like grape, you know, so it's not like it's just a skunk profile, but it's really heavy on that. And I like that one a lot. And now I've bred it to be just basically a straight CBD line um, in shooting for that flavor uh, breeding it, it just happens to be one of those things that has just become more and more, uh, well, less and less THC, I should say. And, um, it's a really cool one and I'm sure crossing it with some of these other things would probably, you could get rid of the grape and bring out the skunk and stuff. But it, I just remember when there was weed that was really skunky and I don't imagine that it's like going to be like, super stony or super tasty and concentrates which is how everything's going now i think probably a lot of them are going to be more cbd because it's that really heavy um afghani shit people didn't really ever seem to like the high the old timers didn't really like the high of the skunks i've never heard somebody say they had a super 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 potent skunk bud not ever you know like it just doesn't seem to be really a thing the only one that I have, like I said, is really skunky, but it's not really super potent. The most potent thing that I've seen that's skunky is um, uh, sour diesel and headband and uh, Pip's weed, souvenir seeds. He has this one that he calls Death Coast, and I grew that. And that was like, for me, was like the skunkiest weed I can remember seeing since the early 90s. And that one is potent and does dump hash and uh, is really tasty and stuff. So like, it's not like it's impossible. I just think that a lot of times when people are like, oh, I got this really skunky thing, you're probably, it's probably not gonna, you know, there's, it's gonna be hard to have those really um, stand out in all the other directions. It's like, anytime you breed for a really specific thing, like people used to think purple weed was all shitty. And it's because a lot of breeders bred it just to be purple and they only selected for purple and they didn't worry if it was potent. They didn't worry if it was tasty. They were just like, look, it's purple. And then it gave purple a bad name. And then um, when cookies came back around, people were like, oh, it's purple and it's got tons of resin and it's pretty tasty and it's good. And now it's kind of a, 
I mean, Urkel was before cookies, but cookies was really like the one that went further. The, the perp stuff, the perp wave in the early 2000s was more localized to the Bay and NorCal and stuff. But uh, cookies went worldwide with purple weed. And, um, you know, I just think that uh, it's still, um, you know, skunk is still one of those things that if people chase it too hard, they're going to have to select real heavy to make sure that they don't wind up um taken in a direction where you're like well you got skunk now but there's not really anything else to it you know but you know that's kind of my take on that but i but you know i always tell people i'm not really the skunk guy i didn't i've always wanted like the exotic candy um you know super gnarly gnarly flavored stuff and i've had great skunk weed but it's never uh i didn't try to collect those strains real hard you know so I tend to have like, you know, I have great pineapple, uh, lime, um, you know, I've always liked the more like coffee, deep, earthy type things. And, uh, you know, but I'm still checking it out. I have a bunch of Afghanis and stuff that I'm trying to go through and, um, you know, people are so interested in it. It'd be great. Whoever finds it, it's going to be, they're going to be a big, big, uh, hero for, saying, look, it's really, really skunky, really good weed. So, you know, I'll try because it's, it's super fun, but yeah, I don't, uh, you know, you won't, you won't see me with a big straight skunk spray release anytime soon, you know, because I just don't have it in my stuff. So what are you working on um, uh, these days in terms of uh, the lines you're currently uh, working with? What I've been trying to do over the years is figure out like what's really, what I really, really like love and kind of can't, can't do without what I would be the most bummed if I ever lost it. Um, and what I'd like to be able to easily find, like, um, you know, to be able to say like, uh, you know, you can, you can get this out of like every plant to make these true breeding flavors basically. And so I've been working on, um, lime, um, cherry limeade, root beer and jarro, which are in the same vein of flavor. Um, the pina, which I love, um, the grape soda skunk, and then I'm always doing other little offshoot stuff to figure out, you know, to find different stuff because, you know, there's these things that pop up that are really good. But I'm always kind of trying to lock down that little list and figure out what's the best out of them and take them in different ways and find like a little variation of lime. Like there's like a ginger ale one in there that I really like. And, uh, you know, go take those one things that are really like at the heart of all the stuff that I'm doing and then take these little offshoots and try to lock those down as I go. Um, but that's a lot of the stuff I'm always really trying to lock down. Like the lime has just been my favorite weed and, uh, and the Jaro stuff. I really love all those. And then the cherry limeade is just like such a showstopper that I really love it. But for my own taste, it's not quite as good but it's great like I, my cousin has like a really bad nerve problem in his spine where like stuff grows into the nerves from his spine kind of 
I don't know exactly how it is, but it's like these fibers growing into the nerves. And so it's like this horrible, painful shit. And uh, so I had had a little nerve thing going on with my shoulder and my arm for a while. And what I was doing was I was taking like three-year-old cherry limeade bud and I was smoking the hell out of it right before I would want to go to sleep. I'd stay up till I got tired because it hurt so bad. I had to sleep on the floor flat. So it was like a month I'm sleeping on the floor in the living room and can't lay down in a bed or a couch or anything. So I started smoking the cherry limeade and I realized like, damn, this stuff, like the sleepy, the sleepy high that I consider a little dull that the cherry limeade has, which is very warm and pleasant, but not good for most times you want to smoke, bud, especially socially and stuff. Um, it turned out to be like super, super good for, um, being able to sleep when you have nerve pain because it's just that heavy duty and so i gave that to my cousin and he was like yep i had the same the same thing and then he gave it to his friend who's this lady who has uh, uh fibromyalgia and she was like yep that's a good one so it's trippy because sometimes the things that might not be your favorite recreational enjoyable shit sometimes they're real good for for medicine you know and uh so I'm just trying to lock down those things that are real valuable, like that I really like, or that turn out to be um, really good. But there's that little, that little core group, you know, which is like pina, grape soda skunk, lime, jarro. Those ones are like kind of my older stuff. And uh, the ones that I really want to lock down and continue exploring forever. And then as I go, I'm just doing tons of stuff. So I, I have a bunch of other ones that are the newer ones. Uh, this guy I met, uh, cool dude. I met him at the Emerald Cup. He showed up. He came all the way from the East Coast to try to check out what seeds were going on. And he had um, old original uh, seed bank packs that he had bought and um, increased and then uh, put them away. And, you know, you always, everybody's always got their stories, but like, I've, I've seen the dude stock and you can, you can look right at it and go, yeah, that's the, that's the shit right there. So he just gave me some Northern lights, some old AK 47, uh, Western winds, um, on Instagram, he's a uh, ginger Tenton. And, uh, he gave me those and some, some, uh, blue velvet and, some old gnarly res dog like chem double D, but the, the ones that I'm the most excited about is that hash plant. Cause it's the hash plant pure. And, um, I don't know of anybody who really has that particular old stock. And he just, he just planted a couple of them. And the female, you look at it, it's just such gnarly dinosaur old eighties hash plant. It's like such an obvious, um, obvious breed and so you know i'm trying to dig back into that old stuff and uh i have a bunch of stuff from uh ex situ seeds who who bodhi put some people onto in uh on instagram who's a dude who's who's kind of preserved some really old cool things like that jalalabad star and a few other ones and i got some stuff um kind of got everything from him and i wanted to check through those and so i'm trying to I'm trying to like do my little core stuff. And then I'm also trying to go back into like the oldest, most pure, unadulterated, stable lines that are like heirloom versions, heirloom improved versions of the oldest like heritage land race stuff. Um, just to try to 
see what they are and keep them around and um, do some work with them and just to to try to open new little lanes from the old shit and that's that's basically like kind of sums up what like last year this year probably the next few years it'll be kind of a combination of of, of all that shit you know What um what work have you done with the hash plant? And it's definitely one of my favorite things to work with. Um, I have a blue hash, which is a hash plant crossed with Afghan one, crossed with blue dream, and it's a strain that I've been growing now for since about 2014. And I and have lots of friends that have done you know different uh, searches through it, and um, it's just been a great plant. Um, what have you found with those lines that you've really liked? So I haven't been able to get into those ones yet. Um, basically, uh, like with the hash plant stuff recently, I just was able to check out all the stuff that, um, crickets and cicada made with that at their hash plant mail, which was like an NL one hash plant, um, Pacific Northwest hash plant puck cross puck, I think. And, uh, they took that and put that on the old Sensi star cut that they shared with me and they took it and they put it on um, Nepalese hash plant, Lebanese hash plant, back on the puck again. Um, and just seeing the stuff that comes out of that, it's such like kind of the definition of like the, the broadleaf stuff that you wish was still around, but it's kind of not. And then you see it and you see the jars and you see the plants growing and the grows and you're just looking at it and you're like, okay, that's that old stuff. And that's the same as like when um, this guy sent me the pictures, when he gave me the seeds, you just, you look and you're like, that's that, that's that crazy stuff. Like that I saw people have, or that I had a random plant here and there pop out of stuff and you never really had your hands on it enough to be able to have it. Or you missed kind of capturing it when you did have a couple plants that were that style. And um, it's like the Indicas I have are, the real heavy, heavy Afghanis I have are like all kind of in the same vein. They're all like the purple kind of um, earthy coffee almost like really hard to describe. But if you know, like if you know, like the smellier ones out of the deep chunk, like that's kind of what most of the things that I had, they're really this like what I consider like humble Afghani. That's just like these really dinosaur, dark purple, fat butted, purple from the inside out, like kind of the certain thing. And I love them. But when you see like the hash plant, it's like, no, this is like a green one that is totally, they're just very different, but they're a lot like buds that you would see if you were like at a show and you ask people what they were selling in the early nineties or something, you know, like, Oh, what do you got? I mean, let's just, we're not going to buy, but let's see your sacks. And they pull out their sacks and have some shrooms and some weed. And you look at the weed and you're like, Oh shit. Okay. This is crazy. And people come by, sit at your camp or whatever at like reggae on the river or picnic or something and have some crazy weed. And you look at this weed and it's like, this is that kind of old shit, you know, what'd you guys give this guy? What's this guy smoking? Yeah, we were smoking a fat blunt earlier, and uh, I think uh, I think put him to sleep. So that's why I was asking. Every time I see that, I'm like, "What? What's that right there? That's that's uh that's data right there. You got to collect that data." 
allegedly from the Midwest yeah, that I brought right. one down here. So shout out to the, you know the grower you are who blew, grew this slurricane. Got a real nice note to it. And uh, I guess it has some terpinoline in it or something. <laughs> and then we also have some, uh, what's the other one? The bag? We have some Sunset. Summer's Sunset OG from uh, Aquaponics Grow, right? Yep. yep. Is that nice? Oh, no, this, this is from uh, Little, River. Little River. Little River, nice. Nice, looks like it's got the active ingredients. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we were just having a good time about that. Um, so you've had a chance to get, I'm sure, lots of cool genetics from all over the world. Uh, is there any places that you thought were particularly noteworthy or interesting or unique with the different stuff that you've looked at with uh, some of the weirder land races or other, you know, more exotic stuff that you've been given over the years? Um, as far as like the highs, I've really been interested in the in the narrow leaf African stuff. Um, I got some Swazi and Lesotho, which are kind of like the same thing, grew those a while back and they were really cool. Cause it's like, you can just smoke them and they're very motivational and clear and you just like, kind of like, it kind of just like wipes out all the vibes and you just like cuts through and like you have like a, um, a really cool focus that's a real different than a lot of weed um those ones are really cool uh, i got some congolese that was the same way and I, I liked that one um you know i tend to have stuff that's all in the same kind of vein because of what grows good here tends to be like you know that afghani based kind of stuff um but um, I have a, a bunch of really cool stuff that I need to start getting into. Like I have like some of that stuff from uh, from uh, the Indian Land Race Exchange. That's like you know, um, like uh, Manipur and and uh, like uh, you know, basically like Indians and you know, that Southeast Asian stuff. I really want to get into there. I got some cool ones that I haven't been able to do yet that are from Brazil and are supposedly like this really rare Brazilian that's supposed to be killer. Um, I'm so terrible. Like I know Pete, I know the guy on Instagram. I talk to him all the time. He's a Brazilian dude. And I cannot remember what his handle is right now but he's the dude who does that, uh, what's it called? I think it's called, he calls it like black lime, black lime tangy or black lime tangy or something. I think he calls it tangy. Uh, trying to remember, but anyway, he told me he scored this, this, uh, this one that's really hard to get down there. It's really closely held and, um, it's supposed to be just a really, really killer oddball um, sativa. And I'm always looking for those kind of crazy narrow leaves that don't all, like when I talk about those Africans, they all smell like what you would expect them to smell like. They're like a grassy terpinoline dominant mm -hmm. one. And um, this one is supposed to be more like uh, woody spray paint, chemical, um, more like cedar. And so uh, I'm excited about those, but all that kind of stuff here, it's like always, it's always hard for me to actually dig into it because 
regular stuff I can pop and I know like, okay, I can do these in small pots and they'll just finish. But when somebody gives me something and they're like, yeah, this goes 16 or 20 weeks. I'm like, all right, I really have to plan for that as a project. So I can like start it early, put it in small pots and do that. But those are those, those um, you know, those kind of more narrow leaves are the ones that I'm, I want to dig into because I, I never um, got to do them here because it's not really practical, you know? And now at this point, um, I don't care. I used to grow, you know, 25 big plants and you're not just going to go, you're not just going to do those um, of something that's going to run too long. And then I would have, uh, you know, my little stuff off to the side that I'd hunt through, but it's the same deal. You're like, well, if I just run them, they're all just going to rot. And now I've been depping stuff. And so like I can depth stuff really early. And then, so if that 20 weeks starts, you know, a month from now, that's no big deal. So uh, I'm planning on looking through some of those and, and uh, you know, that's those, those real exotic long running stuff. That's what I'm, I'm interested. Cause I know that that's not in any of my other stuff. Cause I just don't use it, you know? Yeah, I used to be thinking for kind of, you know, more or less extinct because of the commercial market aside from just those longer flowering ones. Is there anything that you, you see as far as um, benefits in those longer flowering trees uh, that you've noticed so far or maybe differences? Um, I mean, I just know that they, they have to be the least closely related to everything that I do because they were something that people would have never kept around here. So they're, to me, they're the most exotic and, and distant and, and far off from anything that I have. And uh, I know how stuff works. You know, you can, you can go ahead and cross those with something that's really good, but fast and have a, and have a fast version. And if you plant a bunch of them, you can find something that gets that resin on a fast little nice plant, you know? Um, so that's, that's, uh, there's an attraction there of going, okay, I can, I can borrow, borrow these different traits. It's not so much that I know there's real specific things. I mean, the specific things would be that, yeah, there is those real cerebral highs. They're real motivational. They're good for, you know, artistic thought and for like novel thought process that you might not normally have. Um, and, you know, some that might be more social or some that might be like, just like wildly in, introspective and like creepy and actually more of an adventure as opposed to like a um as to not really a therapeutic high but something that's like you know more kind of scary and weird um which i think is good for you too like you know as far as experiences but those are you know that's kind of the the kind of the you know the idea behind those is just that they're not they're not what i am used to so um you know i want to just like dig in and see what they do i seen uh chat was asking if you could uh go over your sky cuddler how how you came with it and yeah lineage whatever all that so originally um that's back to those those afghanis i was talking about one that was a little different that i got basically Back in the day, um, there's this guy up here who's a seed collector, and uh, I had some friends who were talking to him, 
and they were joking with him and they said, Hey, and he was like, what kind of seeds do you want? He was one of these guys who had a lot of different um, things and he was a preservationist and he did a lot of improvements with his lines. And they said, you know, what's your, what do you really want? He said, what do you really want? And they said, um, you know, we want a plant just jokingly back then we'd get plants that grew, you know, a few ounces, um, in the shade. And that was okay. If you could get a few ounces, you know, or if you could get five ounces in the shade, like under the trees, that was great. And so they were like, Oh, we want something that will get, um, a pound of weed in the full dark shade. And they were joking, you know, cause it's just like that unicorn, you know, it doesn't exist, yeah. but Hey, what the hell you're asking me. So I'm just going to say something. And he goes, Oh, okay, here, try this one. And he gave them this thing called big blue. And when he gave it to him, he gave him this other thing called big red. And um, the deal with it is that it's such a squat indica that when you put it in the shade, it, it, um, whereas a lot of stuff just gets stretchy and lanky and doesn't have any structure and you get these tiny little stems and then these tiny little buds in the sun, it got such rock hard woody weave that when you put it in the um, shade, it would stretch and it would still get these really big buds. And so it wouldn't get a pound, but instead of getting, you know, three or four ounces, it would get, you know, seven or nine ounces or something. Wow. It was really, really chunky and it was gorgeous. It kind of had the look of like what people call Zaza now, where it's like, okay, it's purple striped. It's just caked in white resin. And it had this really, this really great thing. Um, the big blue. And the big red was like the sister line to it. And the big red was like more mold resistant, uh, more mildew resistant, and it grew bigger. It had more stretch to it and um, it was sweeter. It had a sweeter smell to it. Some of them were a little bit more grapefruity. Some of them were a little bit more like sweet, like more like kind of like cherry pie-ish a little bit. And um, so I had that. And at the time I had this Hindu clone that we had up here that people used to call Hindu Hindu, which is like an old, really good um, thing that was like, uh, like an earlier version of like Bubba Kush, but really, really similar profile. And so I wanted to make seeds with the Hindu, but I wanted, I didn't want to like water it down i wanted to try to find a combo that would be good so i took that hindu and i hit it with the black affy i had and i hit it with the big red male and so the hindu cross big red when i grew it it was this really sleepy indica and it was really potent and um my buddy um at one point somebody came by the house and we had been smoking and we were all sitting on the couch high as hell, just, just totally like couch lock high, you know? And, uh, they walk in and they go, what are you doing? And he goes, Oh, I'm smoking that cuddler. Just joking, you know, like, because he was like, he, he was just like on the couch, like needed a blanket or something. So I was all damn. Um, I was like, uh, you know, I'm going to use that as the name for the strain oh, right on use that as the name for the strain. So I took that and it was like really, really little squat plants and it liked to get, it liked to get bud mold. Um, so, you know, it had its issues and, um, 
but they were, they were really, they were really nice. They had tons of resin. They had these really fat buds and they had some of the nice, the, the smoke ability it had a nicer texture when it burned and everything that came from the Hindu a little bit improved from the big red, as far as what the bag of weed was when you smoked it, it was better. And it was really killer. And so I took that and I put that, um, I, cr- I ended up crossing that with the Hollywood um, Pure Kush, which was like an OG, but had like kind of a little bit of a Fruit Loop smell to it. And this really bad, like musky, gray water, halitosis, funky nastiness to it. But it was like OG, but it just had this extra thing to it. And uh, so I crossed it with that. And at the same time, I crossed a few things with that PK. And everything I crossed with the PK, the PK smell went away, but it kept the potency of the PK, which was pretty exceptional at the time. And uh, it also got the stretch from the PK and it got um, tons of bud mold resistance. So all of a sudden you got these things that went from being like these, these, uh, these, these mold magnets to being really resistant. And instead of in the full sun in a big pot, you put them out and get two or three pounds. All of a sudden you're getting, you know, eight pounds or whatever. They're much, much bigger from it, but the weed, all the, it's still keeping everything intact. So I made that. And after I did that, I called it OG cuddler. So then I took OG cuddler and I put it, um, I put it on um, Skywalker. And then when I planted that, I labeled it Sky Cuddler because it was OG Cuddler cross Skywalker. The Skywalker was another big stretchy and even stretchier than the PK. Um, Really, really cool OG. It was more of like a very, like the definition of OG smell, whereas the PK was this different thing. The Skywalker was like, that's OG right there. When you had it in a bag and you showed it to somebody, there's no question they're going to smell and go, oh shit, this is OG. So is that in that vein of like that clear OG smell, not quite as skunky as some of the OGs, not quite as earthy, really a clear, um, nice thing. And so I put those together and then those did good. And I didn't grow that many of them, but I got a really cool male out of it. And I put it back on the Hollywood Pure Kush again. So then that was the Sky Cuddler male put on the Pure Kush. So then I called it Sky Cuddler Kush. Then I grew that and I really liked them a lot. And I got um, some of them that were more of a Christmas tree that were smaller and um, were like eight, nine pounds. And then I got one that was really big and it got um, closer to it was like over 11 pounds and um, the weed was really cool and I got it and I smelled it and I was like, okay, this one's cool. It's kind of gassy. It's cushy. And my buddy showed up and he checked him out and he was all, damn, what's this? This is nasty OG. And I was like, yeah, it's not really OG. It's like more different, a different thing. And he goes, dude, it's gassed though. I was like, cool. I mean, I like it. It's a great plant. Um, It's not, I wouldn't really call it like an OG, but it's definitely like the whole thing's made out of Kush, you know? And he smoked a joint of it before he left. And he comes and he peeks in the sliding glass door and he looks in and he goes, dude, 
I'm fucking freaking out, man. And I was like, fucking <laughs> serious? Like you smoke like gnarly weed all day, every day. And now you're having a panic attack off a fucking joint of this outdoor right here, you know? And he goes, dude, that shit is strong. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. So then I decided to plant seeds out of that. And when I grew those, um, they were all a lot more like that. They were the more rangy type that got a lot of buds everywhere. And so they were these big bushes. And um, I did a little bit more breeding with it and then grew those out. And I was like, well, I like to have these in the garden. And so that's, those are the ones that I wound up releasing. And so they have, they, there was different ones I did. There was the number two was more of like the, the Christmas tree style with the big fat buds that are really gloppy and um, a little bit less like the, that actual mom. It was a little more like what in the F1 were the more Christmas tree style ones. Um, and then I did the, I did the other ones were a little bit more like the big rangy type with the bigger buds. And, uh, some of them don't look really resinous, but they've all tested in the low to mid twenties on THC. So they're, they're that kind of weed where some of them are almost like, um, they're not as dull looking as, as Skittles, but they have that thing where they don't have long resin. So they don't right, have tall right. So they don't look like they're like frosty and then people test them and, uh, and it's like, Oh, they're all in the twenties. I'm like, when's the one going to come back? It's 15%. Cause they, some of them don't look as frosty, but they yeah. all seem to be nice. And they have like a really, uh, well, it ain't have, stock that gets you high. It's trichome heads. Right. And the trichome exactly. heads are there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So Yeah. Right. But those, they're all, those ones are all really cool. <clears throat> and then they kept the bud, the, the bud mold resistance from, from the big red and the PK um, and the Skywalker and the big red just kind of brought some bulk to it. And the Hindu, they kind of just made it like this real substantial thing. My buddy joked that it's like the blue dream of Kush um, not because of the weed, but because you can grow a garden of it and have like so much weight where normally OGs finicky, they just get really big. And I've seen people have problems with it where they feed it way too much nitrogen and it'll get really loose. Um, or they dry it out too much and then they feed it really heavy and they get it right to the edge of, of toxicity. And then they don't understand what happened. And I'm like, dude, trust me guys, I've seen thousands of these and they're always chunky, but if you mess them up, they get weird, just like any of that weird OG shit. But nice. Uh, going back to what Steve was asking about breeding out, you know, certain attributes. Um, how do you feel about herp profiles that have kind of not so much the skunk like we talked about, but for instance, I feel like uh, maybe pine isn't as represented. Are there any more herp profiles that you would like to see come back? Uh, aside from the skunk that's so nostalgic for so many people? I mean, it's, you know, it's one of those things where I like to make sure that like in my own stuff, I try to kind of keep everything because, you know, if you grow, if you have like five different things and you have, you know, 20 different people in a room, there might be eight or 15 out of 20 who all are like oh it's that one but there's always going to be a few people who are like i don't really like that one i like this one so like just the variety keeping all all of the variety around you know because um everybody likes something different and it's flavor and ev everybody perceives flavor and smells different and uh 
everybody gets high different off different strains. And um, so, you know, it's just, there's not really anything that I want to see go away. Like I want to see everything stay around so that, you know, you know, it's, uh, it's accessible still. But um, I mean, like, I'm trying to think of like, I don't know. Um, Mocha and coffee. I feel that one's kind of unrep underrepresented. And that was the one that, that was what just came to mind to me right now was the old stuff that's more coffee that when you burn it, it has like that smell, like how when you burn Bubba, um, you smell it in the air or like haze. And I always talk about those ones, but they've always been kind of the most special to me. And, um, you know, they're in the haze. They're in some of the Hindu stuff. Hindu itself, the clone we had, it was just, that was all it was. You could walk in the room and it just, it just smelled like that. Um, so, um, that was kind of the, the one that popped up in my head. I just always want to see more of that. And it's always been really rare, but I don't know. There's a whole thing too, of things being rare that keeps them special. I kind of feel like after seeing how everything goes over the years, whatever everybody can get every day as much as they want becomes just regs you know like people get used to when i saw people get used to og yeah. when i saw people get used to purple urkel i was like are you fucking serious and then you realize after you have it for a long time you're like yeah just kind of like just you know you wear you wear it out you don't want to have the same you know you want lots of different stuff Do you have another question? Oh, um, yeah. Uh, let's see. <clears throat> All right. If you were if you were stranded desert island, you only had one cut or one one seed stock to take with you. What would it be? I would take I would take seeds of my lime just because it's the one thing that if I, if I lost it, I would be the most bummed about it. If I didn't have that to smoke for some reason, like it makes me feel the best. I like how it smokes. I like how it tastes. Um, I'm actually just, smoking a hybrid of your lime. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. The best ones are really incredible in it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. They're not all yeah. amazing, but a lot of them are. Yeah, you find, you find I found some interesting stuff in it. Uh, it's the first real lime I found. I've, people have claimed lime before, and I, I'd never really found lime before. And uh, yeah, but uh, the, the, the offering of years, I found some interesting, interesting limes, lime pop, some lime candy, and uh, the, the the fella, uh, Fumidor, our friend, had uh, made Lime River roses. What he made with it, I can't remember the uh, the the the, the uh, other parent but uh, it was with your black lime reserve and uh, I found some really interesting interesting things in there one of them was actually one that came out like a lime potpourri when it was growing and then when it uh, cured up it turned into this like purely like almost like somebody sprayed the weed with like Chanel number no. five or something like it smelled just like perfume and just gave it incredible high but uh, it was a real outlier that I and I was really sorry I didn't keep a cut of it. Um, but uh, where do you see the future of weed going? Like, like 
like I'm literally scared for the future with with these big conglomerates coming up and like do you always see it do you always see a place for the craft grower or do you like what do you think we have to do to protect ourselves in the future it's a hard one I mean I kind of felt like you know I mean I, I always was really um supportive of people trying to you know, end imprisonment for um, weed. Um, but that was kind of it. I thought that that was legalization. Like, you know, you guys still can't sell the shit. You still can't do anything. You can't have commercials. You can't have a, a, a massive grow. Like I always thought they might as well decriminalize it so that you can never get jail time for it and they can't take your property for it. But like, you know, you get caught with a hundred pounds, it's a thousand dollar fine. You get caught with a thousand, a thousand pounds, it's a $10,000 fine, whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And it would have been like, all right, well, it's still, it's still, you know, it's still left to the people who have had it for thousands of years and have done just fine with it. Um, at this point, like the way it's, it's gone is like disappointing to me because it, and when people, I mean, when the mainstream gets a hold of your thing, they fucking ruin it. And it's just what happens. Yeah. Every, everybody knows that. You Look know? what happened up here in Canada. Like yeah. they literally, literally came in, bulldozed all the small grow mom and pops growers that have been doing it forever. Yeah. That have been that have covering the market and made sure that anybody who had any criminal record wasn't allowed to work in it. Anybody who'd been in it before, if you had any charges, you couldn't get in. You can't get into the industry, and basically gave the cops and the politicians two years jump on it in front of everybody else getting licenses and setting up their business. Even though they, it's been hilarious because they literally are crashing one into the ground after another. So I mean. It is, it is funny to watch, but. Yeah. So, I mean, I feel like what happens is it all just becomes like a little, another version of like fucking trickle down economics. And I feel like a, a, a healthy economy has to be built from the bottom. And yeah. so if you give everybody a way to make money and you have millions and millions of people who are growing a little bit of weed and they're all selling some weed and they're all making a little bit of money. Those people's money goes to everybody. Yeah. Right? They have so, a little more money to go out in the community, spend money at a restaurant, spend money in stores. And then the money just goes around it. it like, yeah, that, so, that is it. Like there's not tr trickle down economy doesn't work. It's yeah. from the bottom up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the little guys spend money with the little guys. And the little guys also spend money with the big guys because all, all the big guys make money. They all make money off of things that the little guys can't produce. The little guy doesn't make Toyotas. You know what I mean? The little guy doesn't make these things that are all these. So the big guys, fine. They're always going to do fine, but they're not going to do as good if they if the little guy doesn't have as much money. But if the little guy has money, not only do the big guys do good, but all the little guys do good too, because everybody who doesn't have that much money, they spend money with people who don't have as much money. Then it spreads and it turns into this thing where it builds and builds and builds. And everybody who starts off small all becomes, you know, that's how we built up the middle class and historically in the United States and in other countries. And um, it's just a trip because 
they keep feeding these monsters all of this resources and, and channeling everything to them and they do it in every business and it becomes like a you know it becomes super toxic for the whole economy and for for the way the yep. way that our countries work in general and um so for me like i feel like that was like a fundamental mistake where everybody went no we need to legalize it and get the price down and i'm like no it's so easy to grow that it would have been great to keep the price up and everybody can grow their own and everybody can trade and it can be done and people can grow enough to be able to give if oh, people can't afford any or like well somebody can if everybody's growing and nobody's afraid to go to jail anymore somebody's going to know somebody who's got an extra sack and they can give it to you if you're one of the people who can't afford to buy it the people who can't afford to buy it they can get it you know what i mean so the whole thing i think really was almost like a a, a really squandered aspect of our economies that could have really boomed and done great and i say that because it already happened and then they cut it off and um so you know my my whole thing as far as looking at it for like where i think everything is is at its best at this point since they've already kind of you know fucked everything off um it'd be for me it's at a point where it's like okay everybody should be just uh you know looking at weed as a thing that's still as cool as it ever was to have but everybody should just be producing their own weed and um you know like if if it's like the legal system should just be basically to get people weed who don't have any ability or space or whatever to be able to have their own weed but i feel like anybody who has a little bit of space and a little bit of resources and a little bit of spare time they should basically be growing their own weed and having weed and then unfortunately we don't get to all thrive off the economy of weed like we once would have been able to i think it was all set up to be perfect but they you know they ruined that i mean they ruined that with people having um stores you know you can't have a bookstore you can't have a shoe store you can't have whatever like there's nothing everything just gets conglomerated to be these little tiny things and after a certain point it's like okay now sweet there's three companies that sell the whole world everything in the yep. world and they love that governments love that it simplifies they get kickbacks it works great for everybody but it's not true capitalism it's it's um you know it, it's uh, a predatory system that basically yep. fucks the masses and feeds the few and then it's like you know we wind up in like um it's like some medieval shit where you have like lords and peasants and and that's what they're they're turning everything into that and it's not really you know it's it runs counter to the whole idea of what like america is about and what modern sensibility is about and um it just it just keeps happening and people just you know like we all just kind of go with it and you know it's a bummer but i feel like it's kind of uh unless they want to completely undo the, the the way the system is built right now for the for the way they legalized and everything it's just not uh you know they kind of ruined they kind of ruined it and and at the same time it's like well that's okay because we can all still have weed but it's a bummer because we we had a lot of potential for 
um, probably the best world economy we ever could have had if they would have just kind of said, hey, yeah, we're not going to we're not going to do evil shit to you for growing weed anymore. But you also can't be a giant corporation and do it legally. You know, mm-hmm. if they kept it from being fully legal, then they would keep the big players out and everybody would have continued to be able to do it in a, in a cottage. Have, have a have the world's largest historical cottage industry. And instead, they just shit all over it, you know. So that's probably the answer right there is push for caps and size caps in our areas and stuff. Try yeah, to I mean, keep it. It, it would help. But, you know, what, what's a problem is that you have these these. That's what when they first started doing it, everyone was really mad in California because it was like there was a one acre cap. And now we they've removed the one acre cap. And I was like, well, when it was the one acre cap, what do you think they were going to do? They were going to go ahead and give this guy a thousand bucks to put a permit in his name. They give this guy a thousand dollars. So then they spend a hundred grand and they have a hundred acres because this guy's like, I'll put it in my name. I don't have a thousand bucks. Fuck it. And then they just it's the same thing they did with the equity program. They find people who could get a permit in their name, but have no money. They give them some chump change and they get a permit and the permit's not actually going to the people who they were trying to help. They're just taking them and sticking their name on them. And they're basically renting the permit for, 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 for a cheap price from these people. And that's what they would have done because you're dealing with people who are dishonest and greedy. There's no way around that. Once Mm. you, once you create the system, they're going to figure out a way to game the system. The only way that I saw for it to really work was if you don't ever invent the system, you just leave there being no system and you just remove the evil consequence. So you go, well, nobody can grow weed, but if you do, we're not going to throw you in a fucking dungeon and take your fucking land because that's some evil, weird, right? But all they had to do was take away those penalties and still say, but you can't grow any weed going to be just like this but if you do grow weed we'll just fine you or you know whatever it is just just basically i thought that was the the good answer because then people would be like all right i still have to do it carefully and people who want to do it big there wouldn't be these these outlets for them to do it on such a huge level because it would have been like hey um you oh you you just planted 100 acres well we're chopping it down because that shit ain't legal you have to do it sneaky and sneaky would have protected the value of the weed and everybody who really wanted some weed, they could have just grown some weed sneakily and had a big sack and met somebody who fucking, you know, had a sack and got some weed from them. And it, the whole thing would have been fine because we already did it. The only problem was the fact that people were getting locked up and they were getting yep. their land taken and they were getting their kids taken away. So just remove the evil shit. That was the whole, that was the whole thing. And, under Prop 215 in California, we were real close to having that. It wasn't still perfect, but they just needed to change it a little bit. And then it could have been a model for all the other states. And instead, you know, we turned into a really toxic model. And, um, you know, it's pretty much as it spreads across the country, we're just going to see the economy destroyed and fat cats get fatter and poor people get poorer and everything you know communities are gonna are just gonna keep keep taking hits like they are right now that sucks that sucks yeah but, um, how do you like to grow what methods are you using to grow to make sure you get good terpene profiles for doing your different uh, selections 
Uh, I've always been really simple. I like to mix some stuff in the dirt. And what I've started doing over the years is basically like a really bootleg, non-scientific, no-till method, where I actually just take the nutrients that I would normally mix in my soil. And, you know, a while before, you know, a couple months before I'm planning to plant stuff, I just go ahead and take stuff, put it on top of the dirt and cover it over with some alfalfa hay. And, um, make sure that everything is alive and keep it moist and um, ideally have worms in there. But if not worms, then at least um, where I'm at, I always wind up with worms in my, in my pots. But um, if not, then, you know, make sure that there's a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of, um, you know, little biology running a muck in there and, you know, running it through their systems and leaving it in the dirt and, and all that kind of basic, um, basic stuff. And over the years, I found that um, even if I don't do that, if I just take some pots that I grew in the year before, and I remove the, the stem, and I rough up the top a little bit, and I dig a hole for the plant I'm about to put in there, and I throw in a little bit of fertilizer and scratch it in, and I cover it up, you know, I plant it and then put put a little bit on top and scratch it in and water it in. I find I get just the same results as I got when I used to mix my soil really thoroughly and make sure there was no hot spots. And um, I just try to use everything all really mild, you know, nothing that's like too, too, uh, too hot in the first place. And then um, I don't know, it, it just works just as good. And I, over the years, I've just um, kind of done things that I thought were going to be really substandard and then had them work out just the same. And so I started doing everything simpler and simpler. And now at this point, I'll literally just take whatever kind of top dress. I have some really nice stuff that I just got from sensational solutions, um, which is great, but I was buying like cheap, like EB stone or Dr. Earth, or I would just basically get all the stuff that's in there. Like, uh, shrimp meal, crab meal, alfalfa meal, um, uh, you know, fish bone meal, steam bone meal, gypsum, um, oyster shell. There's one called Cascade Minerals. That's a, that's a volcanic rock product, um, glacial rock dust, green sand, kind of things that are redundant. Like they all have silica, they all have calcium, but they all have it from different sources. It's, and then I would just like a little bit of everything, mix it all together and put it on and, um, you know, try to go with certain ratios that I've, that I've seen work, but for the most part, um, very like non-scientific and like, if people ask me how much I'm like some, make sure there's some and you try it and it really works out good. And I'd always try to kind of go. I'd always try to go a little lower on the macronutrients and a little bit more of the stuff that is more like the silica and calcium and everything to make sure that that's really there and available. And um, then, you know, give them little, maybe little blasts. Like if I, you know, want it, want to really give them a jump then give them a little bit, a little handful of like some fish bone meal, which is just like a super blast, you know, of, of, uh, of uh, phos and nitrogen and, and um, you know, I like the kelp. The kelp kind of has everything because it's from the ocean. It has all these micros because the ocean 
has everything in it. Um, you know, the shrimp meal, the crab, those things are really high in all kinds of cool stuff. And uh, just, you know, all the, all the little, all the little things, soft rock foss um, that I, that somebody told me to use over the years and I used it and I kept using it. And uh, you know, like it's, um, it, it's totally worked for me. I get great results. My main thing is I try not to really like juice up everything with a ton of nitrogen and um you know then i i try to kind of nitrogen so fast you know that i just kind of give it to them as i can see they really want it it keeps me from getting i've always noticed if i have way too much nitrogen i'm getting uh you know they're more susceptible to fungal um infections and then i've noticed over the years that if you have some food in your dirt and you nail the watering cycle that you will do a lot better than if you have tested soil that's flawless and you fuck up on the watering and you go a little bit too heavy on the water um, and you swamp things out. So I, I've seen always really good weed from things that are a little bit starved. And I've seen a lot of dead plants from people having too much food and too much water. So I always try to go on the light side and, um, you know, that's, that's how I do stuff and everything seems to come out nice. And I've always, I've always really liked, um, bone meal. I feel like the times when I use bone meal, I don't know what's in bone meal that makes it happen, but I feel like bone meal makes stuff be a little bit more terpy, um, and tasty and, um, you know, uh, killer weed always off of guano. And I think that the real thing with all of that is just that they're these available things. I think if people have things really dialed in and they grow with salts and they don't use too much salts and they don't salt, salt their soil, it's always at a really low, you know, low levels and they're, and they're making sure that they're not overwatering. Um, I think people can grow killer weed like that too. It's just like the worst things, I was just talking about it today, the worst things I've seen people use is like Max C. That shit is just like half sand and half really cheap salts and it's crap and it'll make your weed be like really woody and weird and not the kind of smoke you want to have and the terps will be a little bit off and have a weird flatness. And I think there are foods that can mess stuff up, but for the most part, I feel like if you can really water right and have um, and have stuff available, and that's why, like I said, I like to use the redundant stuff where it's like, okay, I have gypsum and I have oyster shell, or I have, you know, like I already have, I already have, uh, you know, crab meal and shrimp, but then I'm putting in a little bit of green sand or whatever. And it's like you have all these places to get different, and that was a cool one too. Was that? There's one called uh, Montana Green, which is like an ash product. It's like a volcanic ash. It's really high in, in silica. And that one I thought was really nice too. It's just another thing. Like I just look for all the different things and I go a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And it's just like organic, low-tech, hippie soup, organic gardening. And I just have great results. And my weed is always um, how I want it to be. And the yields are good. And you know, I, I don't think that there's that you have to be super specific if you're organic, but it's always better to go a little bit light and try to make sure that you're not 
overwatering because I've always had like I'll have plants off to the side and I don't do anything to them and they don't have enough food and they get dried out too much and they finish and I'm like damn sweet as killer you know and then I've grown stuff and put everything into it and tried to make it be so good and then it's done you're like yeah I don't know it's just a little bit flat and uh that's usually in my experience is like too much nitrogen or um you dry them out and your soil is a little bit more nutrients in it so then when you water again, they tend to uptake more nutrients. You tend to get toxicities that way. And if you get like to the edge of toxicity, it tends to like want to grow more stemminess, more green matter with less resin production. And that kind of fucks up your whole ratio of how your, how your weed is. And, um, you know, that's kind of my experience with it. And, uh, I I've never been super scientific. I just go light. I use a lot of different stuff and, uh, it, it always works. Um, the next that you haven't have been able to get your hands on that you're, uh, you know, in terms of different um, cultivars worldwide or anything in particular that maybe, uh, you know, if you had access to it, you'd work with it, but you, you just haven't had the opportunity? Um, I'm trying to think, like, I've had really good luck with tracking stuff down. Um... I usually have like more stuff as opposed to like trying to find something that I really want to try. It's almost like, but I, you know, there, there's like versions of things that are not even that rare where it's like, I want that version of it. Like there's haze that I've seen that is like really particular haze. And I can't find anybody who has that kind of haze. And then people talk about like, you know, this is the special one. And then I see it. I'm like, it's flat to me compared to the one that I saw. If I hadn't seen that, I'd probably think this was incredible, but this is just, doesn't smell like anything to me, you know, like the, the Cuban blacks and stuff like that. Like they just don't smell to me. And I know that they have a lot of flavor. They smoke great. I like the flavor. They have like a, you know, like a soapy kind of non champa-y thing to them and they're cool but there was like hazes back in the day that I saw that were so so crazy and uh, I've never been able to track those down and um, you know there's some things from back in the day from here that were just old things I can't get them they're gone and I wish I could get those but as far as just on like name and like localities and I don't know. Like I try to think of, of stuff there. There was an African one that my buddy Dave told me about up here. And he said, they got it back in the day and it grew these, these buds where the buds were really dense and tight and the way it stacked on the colas when it dried, it looked like it was like, like a braided ponytail. And the resin was really dark from the very early when it started flowering. And by the time it got all the way done, it turned like black. The resin was like black. And it seemed like there was always something wrong with it and you weren't growing it right, but it was just how it grew. And he said that that was like one of the most incredibly potent, psychedelic, overpowering things. Everybody, the first time they took a, two or three hits off of it, they pretty much were going to probably throw up and get the spins. And um, those kind of things always interest me because it sounds like a different plant, you know? So I'm always interested in like those real exotic, weird things like that, but I don't know exactly what they are. Um, I've wanted to, I've always wanted to get um, Korean because it's one of the, um, 
It's one of the rare broadleafs that isn't from Afghanistan and Pakistan. So I had a buddy who had a Korean they used to grow in Hawaii. He said it grew blue hairs. It looked like you'd sprayed them with, with, uh, with, uh, you know, like grow more or something because the, the, the stigmas just grew like sky blue. And I've never seen that, but I know it could be, could be true because I've seen weed where the leaves turn blue instead of red. Like it's that end of the purple spectrum and I've seen pink hairs. So I know that, you know, that, that, that it's, that it's out there. And he said that was a Korean genetic, um, so Koreans always really interested me as far as like a locale that I haven't um, ever grown anything directly from, you know, I know Soma has Korean and some of his stuff, but um, yeah, that's, that's kind of like the real, the, the one that I'm really, uh, I've always wondered about because I've just always liked the broadleaf stuff. And it's like the, it's like the other broadleaf that nobody seems to really have. See uh, that bong in the background, um, kind of a left turn, but how do you consume? You smoke blunts, you smoke bongs, everything, dabs? Um, I tend to smoke in the bong. I like to smoke joints, not even so much because I like how the weed is in the joint, but because if it's good in a joint, it's really good weed. Um, like weed's got to be killer to be really, really good down when it's all roachy and you've sucked a bunch of smoke through it and shit and it still tastes good. You're like, that's fucking good because the burntness still tastes good. I like the bong because in the bong you get a fresh hit every time. I like burn it. And then as soon as it's all the way, like I've blackened the weed all the way, I just blow it back out on the rest of the weed that's left over because it's you know, once you've vaped before, and you look like you vaped weed and like whatever a volcano or whatever you look at the weed and you're like it's it's like dark green but i know everything's gone because nothing else will come out so like after i got to that point of realizing that i stopped smoking the bong we used to be like snap it pussy snap that shit you know and now it's like no nah, there's nothing in there dude you're you're just smoking charcoal so yeah, um california smoke we didn't do that back in chicago because it was it was too expensive i went to california and i learned Smoking for sure you're like it's something that charcoal will make you tired at least we'll get something out of it don't waste it dude we don't have <laughs> nothing you know? yeah. yeah um but um you know uh my favorite is when you have like a little metal pipe and you got the chamber and you put the butt in there and you get it real resinous for like six months that little that's the head stash bro that's like all i smoke these days you know no um i, I like the bong i like joints and then um and then uh, I like to smoke, I like to smoke hash like out of a pipe. I still, for some reason, I like that. I like the, the way hash tastes like burnt as opposed like, like hash hash, you know, as opposed to like dabbable, super high grade hash. I love the flavor of good dabs. I've never got into the routine of it. Um, so it's more something that like, I'll try people's all, somebody's got a really nice rig and some really nice shit and I'll hit it. And, you know, I, I like it. I understand that it's like the highest level of everything, but I've never got into like having a torch sitting around. I have a, I have a son in, in, in my house that's young and uh, like just that whole routine is just like not really like the look, you know? So yeah. 
I, I haven't been able to ever really get into it, but I like it and I appreciate it. And I like, I understand that that is the shit. Um, but it's still just easier for me to just smoke out of the bong. And I know if flowers taste good in a bong, like I know that the dab would be insane because I'm sitting there burning plant matter and it still tastes incredible. So then I know, okay, that's good. And then, um, that's how I try things a lot is just like taking a, taking a bong hit and, uh, a little bit like sometimes barely heat up the weed to the point where it's not even quite blackened and then inhale that and then blow that out through your nose and you'll get a really good idea of what the real terps are it's almost like doing a dab where you really get an idea for it um that's a good one for like selecting and going through things but um yeah i like to take i like to i like to smoke the bong just like a little a little bong with a lot of water and a big tube. And I like, like the, the down tubes that are like this, where there's like a big hole in the bottom that I can put a, a Q-tip straight through it and clean it out really easily. Like not like the bubble ones and like the funnel like this. Um, so that it burns really nice. And, uh, this one's dirty as hell, but that's only like, you know, five bong hits or something. So you keep it clean to me. Yeah, oh good enough you know i mean like the actual the, the actual you know i keep it i keep it pretty um, nice but um well i do have to say really quickly at the regen conference i got some of the best rosin i've ever had and it was working with your crosses some of his work in that rosin was just spectacular man so i'm sure people hand you i'm sure you've had that experience where people hand you something that they made from your stuff and just really impressive is all oh i love it yeah and that's what's cool is that people do do that so like I don't you know I don't tend to as soon as I got to the point where I started seeing people make hash where I thought it was like the highest level of preservation where it's like okay this is the resin transferred to the plant into a jar and it's flawless I was like I'm not making hash anymore because I don't see myself making any kind of innovation or forward progress and I don't really care enough I'm not that attached to sitting and like and geeking out on it like I used to be I'm so into the plants and less into the product that um, it's always awesome when people do a really nice wash and a really nice squish and they show up and they show me and I'm like, okay, this came out of this line. I kind of know what I'm looking for. I can try it and see that flavor. And then I can look for that flavor in the joints in the bong and see, you know, if I can find one that's even more intense. Cause if it's coming through hard, you, you know, that when it's rosin, it's like, yeah, it's going to taste good, you know? So that, that's always cool. I love, I love to see that. And I love to like, I mean, I'll have somebody will give me, somebody will give me rosin and I'll just like sit and like poke it and like smell it for like ever and, and just keep it and put it back in the fridge and keep smelling it and really like learn the smells and everything. And then only really wind up like busting it out when somebody winds up coming by with a, with a cool rig or something. And I'll be like, Oh, I got some shit. And then, you know, then we'll try, try some stuff. And, but in general, I don't really, um, I don't really do it. And I'm goofy. I'll take some shit that's like, you know, like the most insane shit. And I'll just like put some on a pipe or put some on a bong hit. And it's like, no, dude, that's dab. And it's like, yeah, what the fuck? I don't care. You know, I'm still, I'm still tasting it. I know what it tastes like, you know? Yeah. So I'm goofy like that. I'm like super outdated and, uh, and all that, but it's, it's not, you know, it's not like I don't understand. I'll never argue like, no, dude, just put it in an old pipe. Like, 
it's just that I, you know, like I said, like kids around and shit, just leaving a torch laying around and you got like a fucking seven year old or eight year old running around. And like, it just, and it doesn't, it never made sense to me. It seemed goofy, you know? Got kids, so I totally agree. Um, I did pick up this seahorse. It's pretty fucking cool. Like it's an electric dabber. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it was the same way. I got two kids, so the blowtorch is no good, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like there's a Puffco here and there's like a Puffco pen and like I can always try anything and see like what it tastes like. And, you know, like um, I have like crazy fucking rigs and shit, but like I don't I just don't use them, you know. What about them? Is there any other um, weird mutations or things you've seen? Have you ever managed to like stabilize uh, twin trichome heads or anything super funky? No, I mean, the Lyme was really cool. I had a, I had a, um, a trippy thing and it was like, uh, back in the day in the same bag of, of, of trim that I pulled the seeds out of that wound up being the female side of the black Lyme, which is the real citrusy side. Um, I was going through and I was screening and on the, going on the, on the silk screen, you know, like had like a, like a, like a 110 silk screen back in the day and like make it make uh make um hash on the screen you know and then uh i was like looking and i'm like that's not a seed i was like fuck that's like a that's like a piece of like time release fertilizer or a bead of plastic that got melted or something and there was like this bead which like I mean, if you were to measure it, I assume it would be like, I don't know, 800 microns or some shit. It was big. It was basically like a BB. You know what I mean? Like it was like that big. And I was convinced it was something else. And then I really looked at it and it was like, you could, you could look at it and see like kind of the anatomy of it a little bit and like, what the fuck? And I take it and I heat it up. And I squish it and I'm like, it's fucking hash. But like all this was, was weed that was cut down, hung up, trimmed. And this is the trim in the thing. And so I'm like, fuck, did this thing have a mutated fucking resin gland? Like, what the fuck is this? And for a long time, I like questioned it. And I was like, uh, I mean, I know what I saw, but it's just too ridiculous. It's too huge. That couldn't happen. And now I've been seeing a lot more macro photography and you see how there's these mutations where you'll get like a bunch of, a bunch of, a bunch of stocks all together and then they'll create what would be, so you go, Oh, well, if eight of them were all fused and they all oozed into one big glob, then it's, it's not unthinkable. It's just that some things are probably more prone to it. So my buddy uh, Eddie had a plant that I gave him. And we were out looking at it one day and I looked close up at it and I was like, dude, look at this. And we go and look at it up close and I took a picture and then I took a picture and I zoomed and zoomed and zoomed. And there was this one fucking trichome and it didn't even have, it didn't have like, it was just like, it looked like in the picture, which it was not proper macro photography so it was you know just the shape of it if you could really see the actual texture you might have seen that it was all fused and everything but it was like this big it was like this big stalk and it was a lime plant so it came from the same genetics and then it was like up and then it bent over 
And then at the end of it was just this huge glob of a head on it. And we looked at it and I was like, dude, I told you this does some weird shit. And it was the only other time that I've been able to like really track it down. But I know that it happens in there. And so that's cool that there's like a line that I've seen it happen in more than once that that one was probably only a third of the size, but was still way bigger than any um, resin gland I've ever seen. And of course, it's an anomaly on the whole plant. So it's not like it's just doing it everywhere, but it makes me think like, well, if you could really select towards that through selfing, and if you could just increase the frequency by even five or 10%, you might be able to get to a point where you're like, damn, this thing is 60% resin or something, you know, like it's, it's that, uh, that kind of weird thing. And, and, and that was like the coolest, uh, anomaly of like weird, um, mutation that I can really remember. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, other than that, like, I don't know, there's a lot of weird, a lot of weird things. That Swazi and Lesotho that I did, it had a lot of cresting, the fasciation where you get like the bud and then you get like the big comb on top and it would be like really extreme and you would get it on like six out of 10 branches or something. And so it was like definitely really uh, genetically influenced. Um, and that was neat, but it's not practical at all. It's just one of, it's like, it's the opposite of practical, but um, that was kind of cool. And other plant species that's like sought after, like in cacti and stuff, just for ornamentals. And at this point, like when I grow, a lot of it is just like, well, is it cool or not? Cause it's not like I'm going to fucking make a million dollars anyway. I just want to see some cool stuff, you know? Is there anything, um, any advice you have for people that are wanting to get started in breeding? Uh, uh, you know, uh, what kind of advice do you have for those uh, that are maybe uh, been growing for a year or two or a couple of years and now they want to start making their own lines? I'd say like figure out what it is that really stands out to you. Like you want to kind of go from like, you know, like the pit of your stomach. Like what do you actually like? Like what's really your shit where you're like oh man this right here like I, I I'm happy when I see this like this is what I like and this is like when I smoke this this is what works for me and these are the plants I like to see and you know some people like um really floral um sweet stuff and some people like really acrid nasty stuff and some people like a plant that's just like a brick shit house it's fucking sturdy and some people like stuff that's like delicate and cool and looks like a Japanese maple and I kind of like like um I just like it so much that I kind of like all the different um stuff so it's always hard for me to like pin down exactly what direction to go which is where like I lack focus and it it fucks with me and probably costs me um a certain amount of productivity and everything but um like uh, whatever it is that you really, really like, like be the person who is working on that because there's a lot of us and there's a lot of different genetics. And um, so you want to like really focus on what, what resonates with you, where you can be like, um, you know, you can really like hone into that. And then, you know, if you do that, you'll, you'll, you know, anything you do in life, when you, when you can work on 
what you really, really like, it's going to work better for you. I mean, a lot of people with breeding are going to look at it and go, okay, well, what do people want? You know, and it's like, well, no matter what you do, especially these days with the internet, there's so much access. You do whatever you want. And then some people will agree with you and some people won't. And even if you try to be the biggest crowd pleaser in the world, that's as good as you're ever going to do. So you might as well go with what you're going to excel at, which is going to be what you can, you can do really from, from the heart with doing everything. Um, and if, if you're not really that interested in it, then just don't, don't even bother um, with it. But if you have like a little bit of interest, then you could do a little bit of breeding. If you have a ton of interest and do a whole fucking ton of breeding, you know, and you don't have to do a lot. You can do, you can make one thing, you know, most, most breeders, even if they're really renowned and everybody knows, oh, they made that, they're known for one thing. DJ Short on a, in a big, on a big cross section of people is known for blueberry. Some people know about other good work that he did. He did a lot of cool stuff, but people know DJ Short for Blueberry. You know, people know Neville for NL Hayes for the most part. You know, um, he did a lot of work. He has some cool things, but people wind up knowing him for that thing. You know, Skunk Man Sam, I'm sure probably made a thousand things because he did so much stuff, but he's known for Skunk One. Um, so you don't necessarily, if you do any one thing and you do it good, then uh, you could, you could like leave a, a legacy of something that's, that's cool. And at a certain point, people will be talking about some of these things and have absolutely no idea how any of it was done and who did it or anything, but they might still have that bag of seeds with the name on it and grow it and go, wow, this is really cool. I really like whatever it is, you know, and it's, uh, you know, it's a cool thing to, to do, to have any, you know, we like with, uh, vegetables and fruits and stuff. Um, you know, like everybody knows the russet potato and they know what McDonald's French fries are and they know what Lay's potato chips are. They don't know who Luther Burbank is and that he was the one who made like the, basically the original version of that. Um, and that without him, you don't have like the modern russet potato, but it's still like a really cool thing. And, uh, you know, that was because he was hella interested. He like had like a few potato seeds and he planted them. He found a real good one. And then that's how you, that's how he got something. So, you know, do like the stuff that's cool. found any difference in terpene profile and seeded versus unseeded um, flower with any of your cultivars and that's often something people discuss no i mean i i don't um i'd say like there is something to sensimia and if you you really want to smoke bud i like it better when it's not seeded um because you can break it up more delicately and the, the seeds, they, um, they expand the bracts like a balloon and they make, the, they make the resin farther apart. So in my opinion, like you have a better, 
smoking experience from weed that's not seeded. Um, but there might also be other aspects to weed that's seeded that might be cool too, if you really, really focus on it. But in my experience, I like to smoke weed that's not seeded. And when it is seeded, I can still get a, get the same idea of what it, um, what it smells like. My seeded weed still, you know, they, they still smell the same as if they're, if they're not. Cause I, a lot of times I'll seed a clone and that clone is just pretty much the same. Um, I did have one other question. Uh, this is kind of going back to your talk about the future of the industry and stuff. Um, I would love to get your take on NorCal and the state of NorCal. Uh, I lived in Eureka from 2010 to 2015. I really, really loved it. It was some of the best years of my life, but uh, I felt like maybe it was, you know, declining in a lot of ways in the industry and kind of structurally. I don't know. How are you? How do you feel about the state of NorCal and and where things are headed up there? I mean, I think we had a little, I think we had a little crescendo, you know, where it was like, I think there was a high point that we might have gone past. Um, but I grew up here and when I was a little kid, um, it, it wasn't really very, very nice here as far as how everything was. So I feel like now is still a really big improvement over when I was a kid. And I don't think it'll ever probably be back how it was at that point again. So I think it's, it's nice, but I think that uh, I kind of addressed that talking um, earlier with just how, you know, like the economics of things. It's like, it got to a point where there was a bottom-up economy and when you have that you're bound to have things be really um really nice anytime there's like some kind of a big phenomenon where everybody can capitalize on it no matter who they are um then everything builds up and it gets it gets to be really cool you know people who used to have nothing and now have a lot they tend to be more generous than people who have had everything for a long time. So you get people who all of a sudden have a pocket full of money. They give it to people. They give it to schools. They give it to the fire department. They make community centers. They do all this cool stuff and it all gets really nice. And then um, when all of a sudden people don't, you know, have the money they used to have all of a sudden, then you're, you're going to see things decline just out of necessity unfortunately and so I, I I wouldn't be surprised if things go back um you know quite a bit but I I don't know I mean I I just it's 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 really uh beautiful land beautiful um coastline a lot of cool stuff and I, I think if you can um if you can focus more on the land and less on the um, social aspects, you know, it's a, it's a really, you know, it's a, it's a beautiful place. It's a beautiful location, but as far as like um, the people aspect, it's an interesting thing because it was like, it got really nice. And then it got a little bit overrun with a little bit too much of the economy. You got too many people trying to capitalize too hard. A lot of people got 
um, really big. A lot of people came in just for the sake of being really big. It turned it into a lot of people who were um, just trying to do their best to having a lot of people who were just coming in for the sake of trying to get rich and fuck everything up and didn't care and um, didn't have a sense of how things really are. Um, basically, it was like a really odd form of, of gentrification that wasn't really beneficial in some ways because the people um, and I guess that's how that tends to go anyway, because it's like people don't really understand where they're at. And so they act in ways that don't fit and they don't really, they take a lot out and they don't give anything back um, because it's all at once versus a slow buildup. So, uh, you know, that was, that was definitely like a thing that happened up here. And then, um, you know, there was a, like a balance of, you know, good happening with the stuff that wasn't as good. And, but yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I could say, I could agree with you definitely in, in certain respects that there's going to be, you know, it's, it's got, there's, there has to be a certain decline. There's no way that the peak is next week. It's got to be, you know. Yeah. I, I think what you said earlier about the bottom of economy, when I was there, I think it was a really great, great example of that. I saw exactly what you were talking about. And then I moved away for family purposes. And the people who were, who were humble, people were just so nice. And like you said, the land and, and the, the geography is like incredible. It's some of the most beautiful land in the world. So when I talk to the humble people after moving and they say, you know, things are tougher here. It just makes me really sad. Like crabbing ain't going to cut it. You know what I mean? Like I, I wish we could... I wish I wish I could go back to those years, honestly, but you've been there for before and after. So I just wanted to get your take. Yeah, it's definitely a good question. And it's a, it's a, it's a question that's not easily answered. And I don't think anyone knows um, exactly the answer. And the, the hope is that everything, that this is a lull and that everything is just going to keep improving. And I think, uh, you know, improvement's a trippy thing. It's kind of like a, property values, right? You see property values like they're up here and then they dip way down and everybody goes, oh, fuck. But property values on, on, on a whole have never dipped. They've always, they've always, the graph always goes up and down and up and down, but further up than down. And I think that's kind of how um, improvement is happening at this point. And I'm gonna just, you know, basically hope that that's what we're seeing. And that there, there'll be a resolution of, uh, you know, uh, of, of, you know, basically everything coming back and improving again. But, you know, for the time being, people are definitely, people are definitely, you know, panicked and, uh, and, and seeing, you know, uh, a, uh, a weird, a weird time, you know, it's a shock for a lot of people, how things are going. Uh, yeah, I hope to see that area come back strong, man. Mendocino, too. Just love the whole Emerald Triangle. Trinity, all of it. That's beautiful up there, but they don't have a lot of other, you're saying it's not something where could, I know Garberville certainly is not at all what it was the first couple of times I was up there in terms of number of businesses and all that, because that, again, the, the income just isn't coming in. You know, it's not flowing through the community like it used to. 
Yeah. And then, you know, it was a bad, really bad, uh, one, two punch of the, of the, uh, the shutdowns at the same time too, you know, because you already had main street kind of closing down in all these towns. And then all of a sudden it was like, okay, well, people are getting by, you know, by the skin of their teeth. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, and you're going to have to shut down your business for a year. And people don't stop paying rent on those storefronts and all that. And it's always the most expensive commercial property. So, you know, a lot of people, they can't, they, they can stay afloat, but they can't afford to pay, you know, four to eight to 10 months rent on a business that isn't actually profiting anything. So, you know, it's definitely, it's a weird time. I mean, it's, it's historical, you know, like it's a historic time. People are going to, people are going to look back on this for sure one way or another they're either going to say oh that was a really bad little dip or they're going to be like damn that was when everything really crashed and we never got back and nobody knows nobody knows where it's going you know i I think that's an optimistic view though that lulling and then as you said over time it's an upward trend yeah things change you know um and sometimes you know, you want to be included in that change and maybe you're not one of the people who's included in that change. Maybe the upswing is not, does not include the people who are doing good in the last upswing. And uh, sometimes that's unfortunate, but there's no way to, you know, it's just not, there's no, uh, you know, you hope business is fair and you hope, you know, games with rules are fair, but life is not either of those things it's not always fair and a lot of times you get fucked you know absolutely <laughs> i don't mean to be a downer i don't bring it up the, the california scene last no time. you know it, it is what it is dude i mean if you yeah if it, it is it is it is how it is dude it's not a you know it's not um it just it, it is what it is man you have any other questions? <laughs> What's the yeah. dog's name? So, uh, so we have a bunch of them. So this one is Pluto. And then the bigger wolf dog, is the white one is Draco. And then the red one is Harper. Yeah. Very good quite boys. Plan. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's wild in here, man. Absolutely. Awesome. Um, did you have anything else you wanted to kind of let people know about? Any uh, anything coming up that you'll be doing that you want to kind of get the word out on or anything like that? Um, not a whole lot. A um, uh, little bit of a little bit of uh, seeds um, are being dropped by uh, Alpine Seed Group, and uh, those guys are cool and uh, trustworthy and try to put put them out a little bit because they're they're new guys but they're old friends and stuff and they're doing some different things trying to get a couple breeders on their thing um and yeah i'm just working on working on locking down some cool lime stuff i got right now i'm testing out about uh 50 lines or something just to see what where they're going and and uh have people testing out those things um it's kind of what i got going on right now is just like 
a run of, of uh, real R&D, seeing what's going on. And um, not a whole lot of, uh, you know, big news or anything to, to uh, promote or nothing, but, you know, that's about it. Tips or, so I got a, a question from Kat. Do you have any tips or tricks for pollen preservation or, um, you know, pollen transfer for, for pollination? So, like, there's a real interesting thing. A lot of people, when they want seeds, they just don't want to lose what they have. A lot of people aren't really trying to produce seeds. They're just like, oh, I bought a pack. I want to have 10 or 20 more packs of these seeds so that I can keep having some of them around, you know? Um, I recommend if people, you know, don't really know what to do, pollen isn't as scary as people think it is. You can take a little male, you can cut it back, let the branches grow back, get a little tiny bit, just a few flowers, maybe out of all of them, just only, you know, like one, two, three, four, five of them open up. You can go ahead and put, put that male in a place where you can't even grow weed because males are really a weed and they, they, um, they like to open their flowers that you can get quality pollen off of a plant that otherwise maybe you wouldn't get quality female flowers from. So you can take it and you can put it, you know, you can put a little male on your bathroom counter or you can put it in a pump house or a shed or a garage. Once the male flowers are really formed up, you don't even need to have any light for them. And if you have even a 40 watt bulb or a 12 watt LED bulb, like most of the new bulbs are, you know, you can just some light um, and you don't necessarily even have to have light. I've put males in fully dark rooms before and just hoped that maybe I'd get some pollen and you'd be surprised at how much they can set up. Um, you get a little tiny bit of pollen. I'll put it on a plastic plate because plastic has this kind of a static charge to it. I'll take the plastic plate. Um, I'll put it inside of a Ziploc bag, like a gallon Ziploc bag, plastic plate, like you would use for like a little you know, picnic party lunch put it in there. There's a little bit of dusting on there, you know, label the bag before you put it in there. If you have a couple different ones, different places or whatever, take that and you can, you can have the bag open and reach your hand inside the bag and touch the plate and get a little fingerprint of pollen, put it on one little branch in your grow. There's not enough pollen to fly everywhere. It's not on a brush. The little bit of pollen you have is all stuck to the plate. It's a tiny little layer. You touch it, you can put it on there and you can make some cool stuff. It's not really the greatest technique for make, taking a whole row of plants and making a whole bunch of different crosses. But if you have just a little bit of stuff, you're growing it, you have one strain this run, you do it. If you only have one male, you know it's gonna be separate. You know, If you're more worried about you know, trying to do some different things. If you have your females in pots, you can remove your female. You can put it somewhere else. You can seed it. You can leave it there for a couple of days. You can hose the sucker down, put it back in your room after you've hosed it down a couple of days in a row. And you can bet that there's not going to be much stray pollen at all, most likely zero. And you can, you can make a couple of different pier crosses that way. And people did stuff that way for a long time and it worked out for them um, just fine. So you know, like as a, as a little home grow and you want to keep a little bit of seed, it's a lot better to do that than it is to just say, oh, I don't know, I guess I'll just keep buying more and more seeds. Like 
You know, I'd like to see people get anything from me and make more seeds and don't ever come back looking for the same thing again because they made more than they ever um, are going to need. And that works good. Um, you know, there's other, there's a, there's a lot of other techniques. Some people take the pollen, put it in a, take the male pollen, put it in a paper bag, dry it out, put it on a branch, shake it on there. I've never liked that a whole lot. I always picture the bag as being like a, as being like a big puff gun where when you squeeze the bag a little bit, the pollen and the air is going to all fly out. So it's not, not really as good of a method, I, I think. And then as far as pollen, um, pollen preservation, um, basically you want to get the pollen screened. You, you want to make sure that the pollen has no um, green matter in it and no insects and know anything besides pure straight pollen. And then um, once it's like completely dry, um, you wanna take it and put it in an airtight container, possibly with some type of desiccant. And, uh, and then you wanna, uh, and then you wanna, uh, and then you wanna, uh, basically put it into some kind of storage like into a fridge or into a freezer and you can keep it for a long time. I myself don't rely on keeping pollen because I fuck up pollen um, all the time. I've had a couple times where it worked pretty good where I kept it but I know there's people who bank pollen and they keep it for years and years and it's fine. I just I've never really been able to pull it off like that but it is totally possible, but that's the big thing. You want it to be completely clean, completely dry, and then put it away in the cold. And that's the best way to store it. And however you can achieve that um, is good. I take like, uh, I'll take like solo cups, two cups, cut one in half, put a screen in between, put the one on the top, put the pollen in there, kind of gently shake it, get it all screened like you're making key for something, you know? And then um, the bottom will have all the really clean, clean um, uh, pollen in it. And then you take that. And once you have that, you have really clean pollen. I tend to do that if I'm collecting it and then I'll use it right away. And, um, you know, if it's something that I really, really want to keep, I tend to just figure out, I'll either clone that male or I'll, um, I'll just assume that it passed things that are so good. If that male was so good that I want to use the pollen again, it should have passed things that I'd still want to use again too. But that's not ideal. It's just uh, it's just what I do because I don't I don't depend on the pollen. I've just I've messed it up quite a few times, and uh, you know, it just tends to be like a one of those one of those trickier things for whatever reason, and I I can never understand it because. I'll think I did everything perfect and then it, it won't go so good. Bodhi's, Bodhi likes to do um, construction paper and he'll do like a little construction paper envelope and then he'll take that, put the dry clean pollen in that, put it in a jar, put that in the cold. And then outside of that, you can put some desiccant in the jar. And then the, if there's any external moisture, it'll wick out through the, construction paper and get absorbed in the desiccant and then you have it you can put it away and uh it's definitely worth trying but um 
you know, I'm definitely not the guy to tell you that I have tons of success with that because I tend to do live male breedings and shake the plant on the females. And, uh, you know, I tend to do that more often. I've had lots of things of like Rubbermaid, the smaller Rubbermaid totes, putting rice across the bottom and then putting tinfoil on it, almost like you would for like a mushroom spore collection or something like that. Yep, that's like the that's like kind of like what what Bodhi says with uh, construction paper instead of the foil. That's the same kind of same kind of deal. And I've I've done it. I I'm not saying that I haven't had it work. I just like I've had experiences where it didn't work, and it always makes me be like, all right, well, I don't want to rely on that, you know, because I once you screw it up, like you do this whole big thing and it doesn't work. We had a question from Chat. Um, does he, do you hold any males that you use for breeding, or do you breed them and then uh, yeah, you keep a couple clones around for certain males that you've had for a long time or anything like that? I did a lot of work with the male that I called Lime Pop. Um, it was originally Lime Popsicle, but because it was a dad to a lot of things, I called it Lime Pop, like it was the pop to all those crosses. Um, I tried to hold it. I had a bad thing happen where I had a winter greenhouse. I had a winter greenhouse and the heater failed in it on the one cold night of that December that was cold enough for it to matter that there was a heater. And I wound up losing him. Um, I wasn't too worried because I didn't feel like he was the end all be all male in the line. He was a lime one crossed with Limeus, which was a brother of lime one. So it was a lime F2. Um, I wanted to have them so that I could recreate, uh, I could recreate all these different crosses I made with them. Um, so I did that. I had him for a while. I, there's a couple things like I made lime one cross lime bop, which was a bat cross. I made that a couple times while I had him and that's cool. Cause I have a bunch of those seeds. Um, right now I have a lime one cross grape soda skunk. F2 male that I kept that has been doing cool stuff and um, gets like these huge, it throws plants that have just these massive buds, like the crazy, the buds that you just like wish everything got because it's just such a huge, huge flower. Um, throws a lot of really cool um, smells and stuff and is just very sturdy and kind of bulletproof boy. Um, I've had him for a couple of years, I guess. And then I have that gelato cherry limeade male that I used to make ice cream and some of these other things that I did with that. Um, and those are, uh, those are a couple that I have. What's another one? I have one that's a cherry West back cross three and I made the back cross four with him. And then I kept him just in case that turns out to be as killer as I think it's going to be because he was just this super, super chunky male with a with a nice smell. But the plant was just very, very cool looking and reminded me of like my original candelabra plant. And 
got these buds that were just way, way chunkier than anything else that came out of the other males from the Cherry West stuff. And it was a big, nice, pretty plant. So that one's cool. I think those are the only males I'm holding right now. Um, oh, no. And then I have, I have a collection of about uh, 12 lime males that I bred that I made a bunch of back cross twos with that come from two different lines. One of them made with three boys back on lime one. One of them made with lime pop back on lime one. Um, so technically total all those things, they come from four different males back on lime one. And then depending on how they go, I can either put them, um, I put them all back on line one already, but depending on how they go, if I want, I could pull things out of those crosses and make back cross threes with them, or I can breed them forward with all their siblings because I cloned their siblings. So yeah, so, so the lime, I have like a dozen males cloned too. So that's like total, that's like 15 males that I'm holding right now. Any particular maybe females that you've held on to for you know for a really long time, maybe on the opposite end of that question? Yeah, the lime one I've had since 2010. The root beer I've had since 2010. Um, the cherry pie mom of cherry limeade. Uh, grandma or great grandma or whatever that is of, of, uh, of cherry pie. Her, she's a cherry pie bag seed. I've held on to her. She's really exceptional. Um, smells like rose oil and lime peels and skunk. Really, really cool plant. Um, and I have from 2008, I have a HP 13 bag seed from Maui um, from a bag of weed in Hana. My buddy White Hat Frank bought back. And that is like a pine salt. It's like heavy terpenaline, but so much pinene in it that it makes it be different. I really like it a lot. Uh, it's very like, very like gnarly smell. It reminds me in the eighties, there was a He-Man toy that was this guy who was like a moss covered character. And they put this whatever kind of artificial terpene mix on him to make him smell like a moss forest. And it smells like that to me for whatever reason. So I've kept that since 2008. Gets no mildew, no mold, doesn't break. My Jamaican buddy calls it no problem because it's just no problem when you grow it. Great high, tastes really good. Um, I have a OG cross OG cross Jaro um, from the number one line, uh, plant number one, which is that heaviest black affy leaner that I've seen for years. So I kept that. And then I have the other male that I have cloned that I forgot about is the pure black affy that I got from uh, Ital Foundation. Um, I got seeds from him, so I keep that cloned. And then other females, animal cookies that I got um, in like 09. Got that still. Um, a root beer back cross two F2, um, which is like super, super resinous, not super loud, but the resin on it is just caked. I know that thing dumps. I still haven't seen anyone wash it. 
because I've just kept it and only bought a couple of them every year. And let me see what else do I have. A um, couple killer Pina from the F2 generation. Um, a really trippy Pina from Pina seeds that I gave to somebody else and got back. And it's like this really not Pina, but it's something that's way back in that gene pool that smells like passion fruit. What we used to call something special. The same as what I have that's called Meyer Lemsky, but it's much prettier than Lemsky. And then, uh, I don't know, there's a few, there's a few other things, but those are all like selections that I, those are all ones that, um, a couple of those, those last ones are from basically from last year's hunt. And most of those are all old, like 10 year old clones or something. So 2008's the oldest though, uh, hash plant. HP 13, I call it hash plant because it's just like this hash plant clone my buddy Jack had that lives in Thailand. Any other, like, uh, what, what do you recommend for stuff to resist mold and mildew and, and more humid climates? There's a lot of people trying to grow in the south these days and things like that. What do you advise you have as far as cultivars? Um, I mean, you kind of got to, you kind of got to try things because I have things here that are like, I've ne I never see, I can grow a eight pound plant and get a gram of mold. But then if you grow it like up in Washington, like where, where Dutch is at, like he grew Sky Jaro and he was like, yeah, I got a bunch of them that molded. And I'm like, I've never seen a mold here, even in really bad rainy years. But he's talking about like the sun doesn't come up for three and a half weeks or something. And so it's different, you know? so um you got to see what it does where you're at or you won't really know you know um but i i i uh i think like in in general like things that have like sour diesel things that have og um those tend to have more um bud mold resistance and less powdery mildew resistance so there's like a trade-off there they want to get mildew but they don't like to get bud rot and if your nutrition's really balanced and you don't give them way too much nitrogen you'll have a lot less of a chance to get the mildew for whatever reason um that's just in my experience it's anecdotal but it's like over and over again so it's it's pretty pretty good information i'd say um that hash plant one that I have is really, really killer. That came out of HP 13. People grow that in Maui. So I'd say probably a lot of stuff that comes out of that would probably be really good. Um, you know, I don't know. It, it depends, but I would definitely say like, if you are in an area that's problematic, you want to try a lot of different things and see what works and really make sure that you have them healthy because having the right amount of micronutrients um, can, can be a huge difference in, uh, in what we'll want to rot and also keeping them fed well enough and on the right watering cycle where they don't start to starve too bad at the end. Because when you starve them too bad at the end, you'll start to get dead flowers up inside of your colas and then that'll lead to um, stuff wanting to mold. So that's a big trick too, because if stuff gets too tired and hungry, it just is going to start to die on the inside because those are the oldest flowers. They've been there for so long. And if they start to get like brown and tan and yellow up inside the bud, 
that'll be the start of the mold in a lot of cases. Um, you can do things like right before the flower really sets up, you can spray with, you know, hydrogen peroxide or something like that to kind of give them a fresh start so that they're not growing around a ton of spores. You're kind of giving, making them clean real quick. Um, wettable sulfur like uh, disperse is really, really good to use before the flower starts. Like if you know about when things flower, if you go ahead and hit them with that, that'll keep it from, from having a bunch of live fungal funk on them ready to go. Um, that'll keep you from getting mildew in human environments if you spray them in veg a couple times when they're young. They can even help a lot just to spray them when they're little, little clones or even to spray the moms before you ever take the clones. Even if it grows past, it can reset so you don't have a bunch of, uh, you don't have a bunch of, um, you know, uh, mildew already kind of living, um, you know, sneaking on the leaves that's not, not, you know, fruiting and you don't realize it's there, kind of just waiting for the right, right environment to turn into powdery mildew, you know. The, um, the sulfur is really, really good for that. Some people don't like to use it. I can't really find any reason to not use it unless you have a sulfur allergy and you have to make sure that you're not spraying it on resin. And that seems to be the one major thing. And then before things bud, you want to make sure that you're doing something to um, rinse it off because you don't want any residue on there when it's flowering because it is, it is funky shit and it will ruin your weed. But, uh, but that's a huge one for fungal problems. Sulfur is really big. And I, and I had pretty good luck too with um, just using hydrogen peroxide, 30% at an ounce and a half or two ounces at the strongest per gallon of water and spraying that on. And that really just kills all the spores that are on your leaf. The, the alternative to that, which is even better, is to put something on them that is alive and colonize it so that nothing else can grow there. But that's a little bit more of a tricky thing. And, um, you know, it, there's, there's a lot of, um, depending on what you're doing, you know, that can make your, your weed fail for having too high of a count of random shit, even though it's beneficial. There's places don't necessarily count that as mattering, you know. Last question for you. What advice do you have for selecting for hash producing strains? So in my experience, if you can um, touch the leaves where there's a lot of resin on them and it's not hot out, it's cool out and feel the leaves and get the resin on your hands in my experience, you want it to be able to be like tacky if it's on your fingers for a second, but not greasy and also not all the way sandy where it won't ever get sticky on your hands. There's like a happy medium right there, but you definitely are better off having one that feels sandy on your fingers than one that just feels like oil on your fingers. Things don't like to hash when they're super oily. Um, they like to hash when you can get, you know, like if you can touch, touch the weed and, um, and you can almost like rub it by your ear and you can hear like the, like sandpaper, you can tell it has big heads that are more solid. 
Um, also, if you can use a loop and look and see that there's um, that there's nice big heads that are really like distinctly big heads sitting on the resin. Of course, that's like your your number one indicator. But the texture of them also has to be um, has to be fairly solid, and you also don't want it to be like too dry and waxy because then it just won't be that great of uh, of resin. But um, as far as breeding, the main thing is that you want to breed those plants that um, that have those characteristics and not and not others, and then you want to keep selecting towards that. And then if you are crazy enough, you can reverse your males and see what kind of resin the males produce and do the same thing and see, okay, this is really has this kind of resin. And a little trick to get around that that I've told people before is if you cut your males way back and you let them grow back, but they're still in bloom, that new growth that grows back will be more likely to produce some resin than the original growth because it's kind of freaked out. And when it grows back, you'll be able to get an idea of what the smell is and, and kind of what the resin type is on it. And generally, resin that's sticky usually makes good hash. It's just a matter of how much will it make. Resin that's really greasy is almost only good for, you know, butane, CO2, flour, rosin, flour. And a lot of my stuff is like that because it's, it's bred to be smoked as flour. Um, so it makes killer oils, but isn't isn't as hashable. But some stuff's really good. I mean, Jay Trees said uh, when he grew the root beer, he on his run he got like nine percent returns off his fresh frozen, which was crazy. So, um, you know, I, there is stuff that's in there, but I didn't ever select too heavy for that. But that particular plant, you can tell is good because. When you cut it down, I'll have like a plastic liner inside a wheelbarrow and be setting stuff in there, kind of standing up so it doesn't smash and really gentle. And I'll take it out and hang it. And when I get done, they'll just be uh, they'll just be like a big pile of white, shiny heads just sitting in the bottom of the wheelbarrow. And you can just look at that when it drops resin like that. You're like, OK, it drops. It's it's good. If you put cherry limeade in the same thing there's just these big smears on the plastic and there's not a single head on the bottom. It doesn't, it just doesn't do it. You can't, you can't wash it. But that's in my experience, those are like the, the big things. And there's a way the resin is shaped, you know, if it's, if the head is here and then it's like barely connected to the, to the, to the resin stock. So you want to look at like how, what the anatomy is and, um, you know, but the biggest way to see is just like, does it drop resin? And then if it drops resin, then you want to breed that plant. And then when you get stuff out of it that works, you want to breed that too, you know? So the biggest thing is always select towards what works. And you'll, you usually will get more and more of what you like, but you have to still keep making sure that it's the other shit you like too, like a lot of weed and a good flavor and all that stuff too. Tell everybody how to find you and uh, your awesome work. Um, I have a Instagram, Mean Gene from Mendocino, all one word, no underscores. Um, Freeborn Selections. 
uh, which is like kind of my backup account. I'm not really on there and uh, they're both on private. So you can't, so everything doesn't pop up on Google. Um, I don't like, it's not that I don't accept people on there, but there's like a whole bunch of requests and there's so many like bots and stuff now that it's hard to add people. So if you request it, it's not that I'm not accepting anybody. It's just that like, it takes forever to add people now. And, uh, um, you know, if you, um, comment on somewhere else, you see me commenting on someone else's stuff and you comment, Hey, add me. I might be able to click on your account real quick and add you a lot easier. Um, and, um, that's, uh, that's about it. Sometimes, um, speakeasy has a couple seeds. Sometimes LLF has a few seeds, Alpine seed group. Um, they have a few seeds and uh, that's about it right now. And uh, yeah. so much for joining us this evening. It really was a pleasure. It was also really nice meeting you out in Humboldt uh, earlier this year. And uh, definitely looking forward to having you on the show again sometime. Yeah, for sure, dude. I mean, I wasn't sure if it was going to, we were going to be doing an interview format or whatever. I'm hella long-winded when I'm interviewed because I want to like make sure I answer shit in a way that people get something out of it. Um, but yeah, sometime we'll just come back on and bullshit. And I'd, I'd like to, I'd like to uh, ask you more about about what you're doing and everything too you know that'd be great and we also love to have you on Fumi's show too I'll have to get you over there uh, wasn't able to join us tonight but uh, definitely have to get you on his podcast as well it's a slightly different format but I think you'll have fun as well for sure man yeah and a uh, shout out to Jordan River he had to uh, uh, take a phone call or, or, or something so um, uh, shout out to him and uh, at Growcast you can find him at Growcast uh, on all the things uh, and uh, what about you, Wes? How do people find you? Uh, I, I have one of them Instagram things. You can find me there. That's about it. You, know, you can find me over at uh, Chronic Table at uh, with Fumidor. Uh, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Fridays we do the we do the show, and it's fun. Awesome. Right here. Yeah. yeah. Both the lights, breakfastingwithe.com, or you know, more Instagram for this. All right, and um, you guys can find me at Pub and Ponics and all the things. Um, and uh, we'll catch you guys again um, next week. We're going to have some more Monday shows uh, in the next couple of weeks and maybe the next month or two. We have a lot of cool guests. So, uh, yeah, keep a, an eye out for that. Uh, today we did a slightly different day just to make sure we could get Mean Jeans on, so that was a lot of fun. And, um, yeah, uh, if you're looking for aquaponic education, you can check me out over at apmjclass.com. Marty and I have been putting a lot of cool new work into the class uh, if you're looking for full, full length content and um, we'll catch you guys again here on Monday. Um, I don't remember who the guest is, but uh, one second here. Um, we do have the director of um, uh, UC Davis's aquaculture program coming up as well. Uh, he's either Monday or when Thursday of next week. One second. So we have um, Scotty Reels going to be on on Monday. And then we have Jackson Gross of uh, UC Davis on Thursday. So it's going to be a fun week next week. Um, be sure to tune in.
All right, everybody. Thanks.